the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, the change is done. You're listening to the show today. If you're listening on 101.1 FM, that's where the answer is now. And if you're in uh, Conway, you're hearing this clearly now, all the way up through that area, through I-40 going up to Conway. You should be able to hear us very well. You should be able to hear us in Greenbrier as well, uh, towards Moralton. A lot of area we're covering now. Uh, as we're covering that area, as some people have found out, the signal going towards the south uh, east has decreased, and some of the folks there who had been hearing us uh, now will have to get like uh, our, you know, just put us on their on their uh, their phone so they continue to listen to the show. That's all they have to do. Uh, it's re- it's real easy. Uh, can they go to the app store now, uh, Russ? Do we have it all set up for one oh one one? That's a good question, Dave. Okay, because I know a lot, the, the, lot of things app, is now, happening. Mind you, the old app is still it should be running the uh, the new signal because it's just picking up the stream. Oh, okay. uh, the the logo okay. has not changed. All right, but it is picking up the stream, and so you're still streaming on the app. Yeah, let's explain that to folks. If you've got a fairly new car, uh, you have an auxiliary feed that you can do. Which means if you got our app on the phone, on your phone, uh, you can bring it up and uh, and you'll be able to listen to us through your auxiliary. What it is is that you plug in your smartphone and plug it into the auxiliary input there on your dash and you'll be able to listen to us right over uh, your radio. I do that a lot of times with a lot of different stuff. I listen to Tony Evans every day, uh, but uh, I listen to him off of his website because then I don't have to specifically try to be in my car between 9.30 and 10 or between 6.30 and 7 in the evening to be able to hear him. I can just plug into the auxiliary, bring up his uh, website, click on uh, today's message, and listen to him. And uh, it's clean as a bell, and uh, you know I enjoy by listening to it that way. I also listen to a lot of you know music, Hillsong, and other groups uh, by hooking up the auxiliary. So I guess what I'm going to do is I'll put together a way to listen on your radio in your car. You know, if you've got an auxiliary feed, we'll go over that. You know, publish something. Uh, in Twitter or uh, on our Facebook so you can see it and uh, help you do that. Bring into the 21st century a little bit, so to speak. All right. So there was a uh, story on Friday and it was from uh, the Miami Herald of all places, because I didn't see this quote anywhere else except in the Miami Herald. And it belongs to State Senator Trent Garner from District uh, District 27. So let let's bring him up today. 
Senator, how you doing? Hey, Dave. How you doing, Dave? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great. By the way, do you know how to hook your smartphone up to your auxiliary on, on your radio in your car? Absolutely. I do it through Bluetooth and uh, have it both in my truck and my car, so it automatically switches over as soon as I get in the car. That just makes sense. See, we're going we're gonna to have to try to explain to everybody how to do this, bring everybody into the 21st century. That way they'll have no problem listening to this show because now there's people saying, well, you guys went to the new frequency and I can't hear you. And I'm saying, well, go through your smartphone. It's a whole lot easier and it sounds a whole lot better to be honest with you. All right. So I I was looking at this article by Andrew DeMillo or DeMilo from the Associated Press. It's from dated March uh, the 30th. And uh, let me just read the first two paragraphs to you. Concealed handguns won't be allowed at dozens of Arkansas college sports facilities, including the football stadiums for the Arkansas Razorbacks and the Arkansas State Red Wolves after state police approved plans to exempt them from a law expanding where guns can be carried. Eight schools have had plans approved by the Arkansas State Police that allow their sports facilities to be exempted from the law enacted last year, allowing concealed handgun licensees to carry at college campuses and other locations if they undergo uh, additional training, or as we call it, enhanced uh, training. Nearly a 1,000 people have received the enhanced licenses since training began earlier this year. They were prompted by complaints from the Southeastern Conference and other groups Arkansas lawmakers voted to exempt college sporting events if the schools have a security plan approved by state police. So with that said, you look at this and you just kind of shake your head. Is that right? Yeah, basically, Dave, to kind of give the uh, listeners a rehash, we passed the enhanced carry. And within the same day, I think that we actually signed the law into uh, or signed the bill into law by the governor. There was already this counter plan to pull back on some of the advancements we made with the enhanced carry, including the sporting events, uh, places like UAMS, the Mental State Hospital, and private universities and others. And, of course, I fought, fought against that uh, because I think we just went through this big ordeal to get enhanced carry. Uh, we're making people of Arkansas take eight hours of additional training in order to get their enhanced carry. Uh, why are we pulling back on these expansions we just had? Uh, let's get them out there. Let's get them in the, the population. Uh, I know every time we pass a gun law like this, everybody says it's going to be the end of the world, but it never happens. Law-abiding citizens, surprisingly, obey the law and do the right thing. Yeah, and, and so you're looking, like, for next year, I guess, 2019, to even expand the list where you can, uh, you know, conceal carry uh, even more so than what it is right now. So what are, what are some of your ideas that you're looking at at this time? Well, first, UAMS, um, whenever we first passed that law, I had both employees, students, and others from UAMS write me and say, thank you, Senator Garner, for allowing this to happen. I don't feel safe. Uh, there's cases of people being injured in the and around the area. And, of course, when we pulled that back, I had those same people write me back and disappointed. So I don't see why UAMS is any different than University of Arkansas or things like that. If they want to do specifically the hospital part of it, I know there's a medical part where they bring in people off the street. That could be exempt. I can understand that. But we did this blanket thing. Secondly, um, I think that this could be the avenue to get our teachers and staff through K-12 education the ability to carry weapons. I think that we need to reexamine that in the 2019 session. 
after Parkland, uh, the number one thing I've heard from people is that we need to give teachers the ability to carry, not mandate it, not force people to do it, but create a better system that if a teacher, a staff, a staff person, the administration wants to have somebody be able to carry, let's do that. The enhanced carry could be the first step of a multi-step process to do that. And finally, let's re-examine all of our gun-free zones in the state of Arkansas, so-called gun-free zones, and let's find out with this additional training that we're making the people of Arkansas go through if they have to give up their constitutional right the second they step through some imaginary line. Yeah, I got a question. It says in the story, and, and I just got to go by what they say. It, it says, prompted by complaints from the Southeastern Conference and other groups. Uh, what what does the Southeastern Conference say to us? Are you privy to those discussions, or do they just come down to uh, the governor's office, or what? Well, when we went through that, I believe the commissioner or president, I don't know exactly what the organizational structure is there, uh, came out and made statements against it. And then, of course, all the talk, um, sports radio people pick it up and were making these outrageous claims that the Arkansas is going to pull out of SEC. In other words, of course, that's not going to happen. Um, so there was a public debate about it uh, after it passed. Um, but <clears throat> since then, I think we have plenty of time to have those discussions with the governor's office, with the SEC, with the university officials, and try to actually get a better law in place. Yeah, so what is their biggest uh, bitch about this? I mean, they just don't want concealed carry holders uh, being able to, you know, keep their right uh, to be able to keep and bear arms? I guess so. They, they, they have this kind of fantasy, um, and it's something I've seen Democrats in Arkansas do over and over again, and it's a little bit infuriating to me, that the second somebody steps through that um, security gate to go into a college uh, sport event, they become this crazy and drunken people that are going to shoot up in the air and they use their weapon to emotionally shoot an LSU fan or, or, or some reason. But Dave, we both know that's the exact opposite of what people with concealed carry permits actually do. Um, you have to be 21 years of age or older to get an enhanced carry. You cannot drink with an enhanced carry or you'll have your license revoked and break the law. And most law-abiding citizens don't go out there and shoot people for the fun of it. So they think that somehow excuse me, people are going to get out there and start to use their weapons in a negative fashion. When every data point I've ever seen say the concealed carry holders are some of the safest, most law-abiding citizens in the United States. Yeah, I, I agree with you here is that uh, the Southeastern Conference, I mean, I understand the SEC carries a big stick because they're the ones who divvy up the money from football and things of that nature off to the different campuses. But, uh, yeah, I think people have to kind of uh, make up their mind whether they're going to allow the SEC to make them check their rights. Absolutely. I think Mississippi or one of the other states, excuse me for not knowing off the top of my head, is looking at a similar law and getting pushed back. So I hope they get that through and I hope it passes because what you're going to see is nothing's going to really happen. I mean, there is always a possibility of a bad incident, but I would wager that the vast majority of people are in carry with no problem. And so we can reexamine this in the 2019 session. Something I have to bring up, Dave, I think your listeners will appreciate in that same article, uh, the Arkansas Democrats basically said that we should do this same plan for the whole campus, that they actually said that somehow creating a plan is enough to keep people safe on a college campus. Um, it, you know, if that's true, we should just make safety plans for everywhere and there will be no mass shootings and no harm. Of course, reality-based people understand that's a fantasy, that plans are great to have, but that, it's like when I was in the military. Uh, your plan went great until the first shot was fired, and it all went to heck. Um, so 
Uh, obviously, we need more people carrying. Um, I always say law-abiding citizens carrying weapons are like the antibodies that fight diseases, and we do not need to get rid of them if we're trying to cure the disease of mass shootings or regular crimes or whatever it may be. Our uh, guest, State Senator Trent Garner, District 27, uh, he has already kind of thrown the gauntlet down. I'm glad you've done this, saying that uh, here in the future, and I'm going to assume that in the future, I plan on being very aggressive with expanding the enhanced carry law. The next session, that would be in 2019. It's not like you're going to wait until, you know, 2021 to do that. So you, you got some other thoughts about areas that you think that people should be able to carry in then? Or do you want to hold yeah. that close to your to your vest until you do it? No, I think we can examine each and every one of them. I think it would be a perfect time in this interim time to uh, examine those. You know, uh, joint performance review is one of the committees we're on. I'm not going to bore the people with the kind of details of it, but we're going to examine school shootings and school safeties, <coughs> excuse me, and mass shootings in general. And I think that's when we need to bring in the experts who say, hey, look, 98% to 90% of all mass shootings happen in gun-free zones, places where law-abiding citizens cannot carry. Um, why is that? Why do we? What can we do to reduce that? Um, there's multiple incidents where a law-abiding citizen engages a mass shooter, and they either uh, enable to take them down by neutralizing them, or the mass shooter kills themselves, which happens over and over again. So, I mean, if you look on the syllabus that was released to the enhanced carry instructors from the Arkansas State Police, they have a list of where the new enhanced carry allows you to carry, and then a list of places you cannot carry. And I think we need to examine every single one of those and, uh, you know, make sure we know. Like, there's going to be some obvious examples. Like, if you can demonstrate that there's some high explosive area, um, I could say that's fine. You probably can't carry in there because the small chance that your gun goes off and blows up, say, the building, that's bad. We can understand that. But those should be the exceptions, not the rule. And I think we should be more aggressive about it. Um, The thing is, we created this brand-new training, 21 years older or older. Eight hours plus of training. I took the enhanced carry. I have mine. I'm able to carry the capital and other places. It took a Saturday to do it with a great instructor. But I went out there. I paid that fee to do that. I'm getting the additional training. Stop treating me like I'm going to do something bad after I go through all this training to do it. Let's get more aggressive with it. Let's let people carry and let's stop uh, or help prevent some of these mass shootings that happen. Yeah, I mean, bottom line is uh, people who are concealed carry holders have been proven to be even safer than police officers are with their weapons. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, you know, what happened in Boward County, the the sheriff resource officers was outside, did not go in. Then Pulse nightclub shooting, there was a armed off-duty police officer at the scene of the Pulse nightclub shooting. We know what happened there. Uh, Columbine, kind of the original mass shooting event there was a armed resource office at that facility uh over and over again our police officers do great job they're they're amazing people but there's only so much they can do to protect people when a mass shooting happens just for a various amount of reasons you know what can stop something if i have a weapon and i'm able to successfully defend myself from that person doesn't matter if they have an ar doesn't matter if they have a pistol doesn't matter what that weapon system may be Studies have shown the second that somebody gets shot at, their whole mental attitude changes. I learned this when I was in the military. There's a big difference between aggressively going after an enemy and having to bunker down when you're getting shot at. And we learned that the, the amount of time we can reduce somebody from the time they start mass shooting to the time they engage with a good guy with a gun, the more lives we save. And that's a cold, hard fact. Were you able to get uh, those uh, texts and emails that you had 
from UAMS students. Were you able to get those into the hands of the uh, administration over at UAMS saying, hey, look, you've got people who are asking for this at your campus? When the public debate happened, I told people about it. Uh, for privacy reasons, I don't like releasing people's information. I'm always scared there might be some kind of backlash or some kind of issue unless they explicitly give me permission. And I don't remember anybody doing that. But I, I voiced that concern, I think, on the Senate floor whenever this, the second bill was going through, saying, I have heard from people who say this is an issue. And they're just regular folks who were excited to have this ability, and it just got ripped away from less than a week later. I mean, Dave, can you imagine that? You, you work, say, at UMS, or you work at a place that was a quote-unquote gun-free zone. You, you saw about the enhanced carry. You were all excited to be able to protect yourself, not just while you're at work, but driving back and forth. And less than a week later, the government pulls that back away from you, saying, no, you can't. Uh, I think that's, that's the wrong way to treat people, and that's why I was against it. Well, Senator uh, Garner, do you think you're going to have problems with the Democrats? I mean, Greg Letting... Uh, he's over in the House side, quoted as saying he opposed the expanded gun law, said security plans resto- restore some local control to campuses, but he'd prefer allowing schools to decide for themselves whether they want to allow concealed guns. And he's taking the tack that you said that we probably would see. I don't know why they couldn't just submit plans to effectively say, quote, look, our campus is safe. We don't need Act 562. Well, that, that is a that would be comical if it wasn't such of a dangerous thought. The fact that you think that any security team, police officers otherwise, can write a security plan that will keep people 100% safe is fantastical. It is a fantasy. It is not real. Um, his ability, he he doesn't like guns. He doesn't like guns on campus because he doesn't want law-abiding citizens to be able to protect themselves. That's it. Uh, one of the things we did with the enhanced carry as a compromise between people like me who wanted more expanded carries and people who were nervous is in dorm rooms, we had the ability for people to carry in there but not to be able to store. So that if I'm a student and I'm walking through to see my buddy's room in his dorm room, I can carry my weapon. I just couldn't leave it sitting out on the counter for various reasons. Well, the Democrats, like Representative Letting and the other, are already trying to pull back that to say, no, you can't carry in dorms at all. They're trying to make people into literally criminals because that's what it is. Let's, let's break it down. If you go in there with your concealed carry, enhanced carry, into a dorm and we pull back that law, it won't just be that you violated some university principle. You will be breaking the law and will be held accountable for that after you've done the enhanced carry, after you've done the training, after you sent your money to the Arkansas State Police to get background checked. They're still going to try to turn you into a criminal for just carrying a weapon that you've done nothing wrong with nothing not pulled it not showed it not done anything it's it's amazing to me that we just do not trust people to be able to exercise a constitutional civil fundamental rights enumerated both in our second amendment and the section two article five or yeah section two article five of our state constitution so are you a little bit concerned that the democratic party now has taken for calling uh you know uh you know assault rifles to calling them weapons of war and people are embracing that term? That is that is something we have to fight back uh, violently. I am a Special Forces Green Beret, served two tours in Afghanistan. I've seen and used weapons of war, quote, unquote. You know, I, this looks like to me that going out there and seeing a Jeep Wrangler, and because the military used Jeeps in World War II, calling that a military assault vehicle. 
It is ridiculous. These weapon systems are the most practical, some of the best use weapon systems in the world. I have a young brother who is in 11 years old who uses an AR platform to go hunting with. It is a very good way. We need to fight back against this. Just because a gun looks good to you doesn't mean it doesn't have practical purposes for the population. And, uh, you know, for all the, say, all the talk they say, well, we're not trying to ban guns. They are. They're trying to ban AR-15s. Uh, are these are these modern sporting rifle platforms that I own that I think are great weapon systems. And here's the thing. If you're not comfortable with that weapon, you shouldn't have to use it. But I'll be danged if I take the ability away from a person, a single mother who wants to protect herself from, say, a, an abusive ex-husband, from having whatever weapon system platform she needs to do that with, whether it's a handgun, whether it's a shotgun, or whether it's an AR platform. We need to give her that choice and that ability to do it. Well, let's all uh, remember that John Paul Stevens, former Supreme Court Justice, just uh, last week said that we needed to repeal the Second Amendment from the Constitution. If that doesn't say that Democrats uh, don't want to get rid of our Second Amendment rights, I don't know what's going to take to wake people up. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, That was an amazing thing for a Former Supreme Court Justice, I I want people to really think about that. This is a guy who made life-or-death decisions on multiple cases for years in the highest court in the land, and he is calling for a repeal of a fundamental right by our Second Amendment. It is is dangerous. It is something that we have to fight, and as a state senator, I will fight it every single day uh, to any kind of uh, encroachment on our Second Second Amendment abilities. All right, State uh, uh, Senator Trent Garner from District 27, we're out of time. I thank you for joining us on short notice and appreciate uh, your thoughts and and what you you were sharing with us today. Thank you so much, Dave. I appreciate it. All right, talk to you later now. That's uh, State Senator Trent Garner. we got Fox, or pardon me, we've got uh, news coming up at the bottom of the hour. Horton's uh, Orthotics and Prosthetics where uh, they take the time as a family-owned business to get to know their clientele very well. They empathize with their clientele. They want the best for their clientele. They try to help them to reach their highest potential with, uh, for whatever reason that they need an orthotic or a prosthetic, whether it's a limb or you know, whether you're a woman and you just had breast cancer and, and you need a prosthetic uh, to take care of what that's, that surgery did, uh, they've got a, a whole area within uh, their business uh, that can help women because of, uh, you know, cancer surgeries. So give them a call at 663-2908. Now, when you go in to see the folks at Hortons, you should bring three things with you. One, bring a driver's license so they know you are who you say you are. Two, bring your uh, insurance uh, card with you. And then last but not least, bring a, a, a paper from your doctor, your physician, that says what it is exactly that uh, you need done, what the treatment will entail. And that way they can get you completely into the system and get you uh, working uh, with the folks and the professionals at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. 
Phone number again is 501-663-2908. Or you can just stop by their location uh, if you want to just talk to them first at 5220 West 12th Street in Little Rock. They have some satellite locations. Uh, they can tell you about all of those locations at the Hortons uh, here in Little Rock. So keep them in mind. That's Hortons, Orthotics, and Prosthetics. All right, so spent that entire half hour talking with State Senator uh, Trent Garner, uh, District 27, and uh, sounds like, you know, he's ready uh, to, to really uh, get down and add it uh, at the, um, you know, the next uh, legislative uh, session, general session that's coming up in 2019. And when you hear things, uh, you know, from uh, some of the folks uh, that are uh, elected officials, like, for instance, I have uh, that article uh, from Greg Letting. Got the article right here in front of me. I'm quoting him from out of it. He's a state representative. Uh, He opposed the expanded gun law, said the security plans restore some local control to campuses, but he'd prefer allowing schools to decide for themselves whether to allow concealed guns. Here's my thing on that. You know, state universities, if you're under the State Board of Education, uh, it shouldn't be a quilt here in in, uh, uh, the state of Arkansas uh, that you have to sit down and, and consider, well, Uh, is the university I'm going to go to, is it going to allow me to keep my rights or is it one of them that's going to take my rights away from me? So instead of having this patchwork, let's have a law that covers them. So all you have to do, very simple. Uh, Letting went on to say, I don't know why they couldn't just submit plans to effectively say, look, our campus is safe. We don't need Act 562. And that's the act that allows you, if you have the enhanced carry license, be able to carry on a a, a college campus. Uh, it just seems to me that if you're going to pass a state law, it applies to the state. And I wish we would stop running scared uh, from uh, different other organizations who say, well, if you do that, you know, we might have to spank you or something. Uh, that needs to be dealt with as well. You cannot run because you're afraid to, to face up against uh, some of these progressive groups. Uh, then you have, of course, uh, Senator Garner, who is the lead sponsor of the expanded gun measure. He opposed the follow-up exemption law, saying that he'd like to revisit the, the issue next year. And from listening to what... Uh, Senator Garner had to say, I think we can readily agree amongst us that that's something that we can probably count on. So uh, gun legislation will be a, uh, a big issue come uh, next year, beginning of the year. I think they get started uh, middle of uh, January, beginning of February uh, for the uh, general session. He just said, and I'll quote him, I plan on being very aggressive with expanding the enhanced carry law this next session. So um, we'll have to see how it all works out for him. But uh, I can can tell you we got somebody that's in our call, our corner uh, talking about uh, gun, gun control 
uh, you know, keep uh, Second Amendment safe. But let me just quote from this article I had here that I was uh, reading, and that was uh, uh, a Hill article that I, I had. I'm trying to get back to it right now. And let's see here. Here's the article bringing it up. Let me just kind of read this. Um, Democrats acknowledge the backlash to recent calls from former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens to repeal the Second Amendment underscores the public fears about uh, the slippery slope when it comes to gun control. Uh, I read that article uh, here on the show on Thursday and uh, make no doubt about it. He was very, very clear that he thought the Second Amendment should be repealed from the Constitution. Brad Bannon, a Democratic strategist, here's what he had to say, but I want you to listen real closely to what he's saying here. He says, it hurts the message. It basically raises the hackles of a lot of people who think Democrats are out to take away all the guns. It scares the bejesus out of people. Quote, and this is, listen to what he says here. He parses words very carefully here. Democrats should make the distinction that we're not trying to take away your Second Amendment right. Okay, sounds good, right? Until you hear, but. We do want strict limits on ownership and sales on guns that are weapons of war. And it's like uh, State Senator Trent Garner said, what's a weapon of war? What is that? As he pointed out, you can go down to the, one of the car dealerships here and buy yourself a Jeep. They use, you know, they or a Hummer. You know, used now, but you could buy a Hummer. Should you be able to have either one since the military have used Jeeps since World War II and have been using Hummers over in the uh, the Middle East? I mean, aren't they now not just weapons of war? I mean, if I, if I take mine and uh, I went to the car dealership and it was all dressed out really nice and uh, a lacquered coat of, say, metallic blue, and I had it. I had it sanded down, and I had it uh, painted out to you know desert camouflage. Does it suddenly stop from being a car that I take my family out and become a weapon of war because it looks quote like a weapon of war, even though it's not? Although I would say it is probably closer to being a weapon of war than an AR-15 is to a fully automatic uh, weapon used by a soldier. You got to think about what these people are saying here. And uh, just uh, very interesting uh, what, the, what the Democrats say and how you, you've got to look at what they say. Again, let's Democrats should make the distinction that we're not trying to take away your Second Amendment right, but we do want strict limits on ownership. And what are those strict limits? That you can only have revolvers 
uh, that you can only have a handgun that has six bullets in it, seven bullets, eight, 15, 21. Who makes that dis- that dis- uh, decision? You can have a gun, but, uh, you know, you got to have a license to buy the bullets. I mean, we can go on and on here. The uh, intensified focus on gun reform marks something of a shift for the Democrats who shied away from the issue for years after suffering sweeping election losses back in 94, a wave that was largely attributed to the, uh, the uh, assault weapons ban that they championed, championed early that year. Uh, presidential hopeful Al Gore lost several traditionally Democratic states as he sought the White House in 2000, including West Virginia and even his home state of Tennessee, where voters were exceedingly wary of his gun positions. I'll tell you what, you better be exceedingly weary of any, be completely wary of any Democrat that comes to you and wants to be elected to Congress. Because they may sound like the greatest person in the world. But when they get under the tutelage of uh, and control of Nancy Pelosi or Charlie Schumer or any of the other uh, top echelon of the Democrat leaders, they will either kowtow to those leaders or they'll have their own opponents to run again in two or six years and will not get any money from their uh, their party. Keep that in mind. Now, the same thing basically would happen to a Republican who ran to get to get, get rid of the Second Amendment on the Republican side, except that keeping the Second Amendment would be what they were trying to do. And I think we could all agree that that's exactly the way we want it to stay. Hey, don't forget about uh, Arrow Plumbing. I've been talking about Arrow for some time now and uh, have been talking to you about some of the great things they got going, uh, like their warranties or guarantees that they have. They have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied with the service they've provided, they'll refund all of your money. If their plumber smokes or swears in your home, doesn't wear his shoe covers, or has not been drug tested, you don't have to pay for the service. And if a repair fails in the first year, they'll repair it again at no charge. That's the 100% satisfaction guarantee that you get with Aero Plumbing. Don't get it with everybody else. That's just one of their guarantees. They got others. I'll be telling those to you as we, as we go along doing the show. But Aero Plumbing is there to serve you and take good care of you. Earl has done a superior job in building one of the, if not the most professional and, uh, you know, uh, serviceable and great uh, organizations takes good care of service for their customer base. That's uh, aeroplumbing.net or aeroplumbing on the internet. IRA, your 401k or other retirement accounts. Required minimum distributions could force you to withdraw money from those accounts whether you want to or not. 
It could trigger an avalanche of taxes and every year could get more and more expensive. David Lucas specializes in strategies that can reduce those taxes and save you thousands of dollars. The published author, host of the David Lucas show right here on 101.1, The Answer. And if you've saved at least $200,000 for retirement, be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now at 501-653-6690. If you want to learn how you can save thousands in taxes on your IRA or your 401k, call 501 501- Six five three sixty six ninety five zero one six five three sixty six ninety. All right, we're down to about seven and a half minutes left here in this first hour on our first Monday of April, and uh, you know it's something to think about when you're talking about uh, things like uh, you know gun control. This is what we've been talking about during most of this hour because there's There's things that are happening uh, in the realm of politics right now. The Democrats believe uh, because of Parkland and the, the, the way some people are, uh, are dealing with all of this uh, is, um, you know, what can, you know, what, what are you to believe? That's what it comes down to. What can you believe? Let me go back and again, I'll pull up this article that I've been reading from. Uh, it's an article from the Hill. Uh, was just published today uh, talking about uh, the Democrats and how they're looking at uh, gun control uh, legislation uh, here this year. Uh, the title of the article uh, is uh, from the Hill, and it says, Dems seize on gun control heading into midterms. And they're going to play a game with you, basically, and they think they can win with this message. Democrats acknowledge the backlash to recent calls from former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens to repeal the Second Amendment underscores the pub- public fears about quote, the, the slippery slope when it comes to gun control. And Brad Bannon, a Democratic strategist, says, you know, it hurts the message when John Paul Stevens does this. It basically raises the hackles of a lot of people who think Democrats are out to take away all the guns. It scares the bejeebus out of people. And then he goes on to say, Democrats should make the distinction make the distinction that we're not trying to take away your second amendment right, but we do want strict, we do want strict limits on ownership. Now that sounds like to me, they're going to control your right. Isn't that what that says to you? It does to me. What do they mean? They're not, this guy isn't, uh, uh, in any way, shape, or form, defining what he means by strict limits. Does it mean you can only have one handgun? Does it mean uh, you, you can have a hunting rifle, but it has to be a single-shot hunting rifle? Because there's not a whole lot of difference between 
uh, having a semi-automatic hunting rifle and having, quote, what they consider a weapon of war, except that one looks like it has a military platform and the other doesn't look as dangerous. Just like I was trying to explain, if you go out and buy, you know, a Jeep and it's painted bright red and it's got uh, wide tires on it, it looks like a some kind of sporty a vehicle, but if I take the same, take the same Jeep and paint it desert camo and, uh, make it look like, uh, one of the Jeeps that the military uses. Now I got a military enhanced Jeep that I'm driving and it could be used as a weapon. Now this has hurt the Democrats in the past. I think they, they, They go at this at their own risk. Uh, Although a lot of Americans anymore just don't get that if you give away part of your rights, you'll never get them back again. This doesn't, it does, it, it, you know, it it works pretty quickly taking it away. But if you want to get it back, it takes a whole lot more work at that point. A whole lot more work. So keep that in mind. That's why I had Trent Garner on today. It's uh, the colleges are looking for ways here in the state to to run around to run around the laws that uh, our lawmakers have uh, have made. You know they're trying to run around five sixty two. They're nibbling along the edges, but then you got uh, you know you got a state uh, representative. Leading, and you've heard Greg leading. He's been on my show before. And he says, uh, you know, I don't know why they just couldn't just submit plans, these uh, security plans on college campuses to effectively say, look, our campus is safe. We don't need Act 562. Or we can get rid of Act 562. got to watch these people got to keep it very very you know you just got to watch it and and you got to be you know just you know you got to be diligent like they've always said you know to be able to keep freedom you just got to be diligent all the time got a uh, Email says, we want to remove your ability to fight the government for your right as an American to be free. We are free people only because we hold guns to defend ourselves individually and as a country. It's not just about robbers, folks. It's not the reason the Second Amendment went into the Constitution in the first place. It was to be able to protect yourself from a reigning tyranny that's known as your government. In the next hour, uh, we will talk about uh, illegal immigration. President threw the gauntlet down on DACA today with the Democrats. And we're going to hear from uh, Janan Davis. Going to be running the Little Rock District Court with fairness and efficiency is what Mike Rainwater says. We'll find out about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Basically what I just said to you, a lot of these folks are going to to arrive at legal ports of entry because of a of exploitable loopholes in our own laws that are they are being coached by uh, 
the, the drug smuggler, by the smugglers, the human smugglers and drug smugglers alike, and they're going to ask for political asylum. We have to let them in because of some uh, court settlements and, and, and loopholes in our own laws that we have not been able to fix. Department of Homeland Security is sending these fixes to Congress. Only Congress can fix these. This is something that has to be done legislatively. How much trust do you have in, con- in Congress to fix these? I think the president knows that. That's why he's calling for, you know, the nuclear option. And the nuclear option is is a, is kind of scary here in Washington. Uh, you know, when Obama had what was basically the nuclear option, which was he had 60 Democrats in the Senate and a majority in the House, he was able to push through Obamacare. Uh, so with that said, uh, you know, if you do the nuclear option where you only need 50 plus one senators to pass anything, that's great if you're the majority and you're on the side of the ruling party. But if the if the Democrats become a majority, then President Trump would have created his own living misery, yeah. <laughs> shall we say, since we're on the radio, uh, because then the Democrats would have the nuclear option and, uh, you know, the Republicans would uh, not be able to stop any legislative initiatives they wanted. It's it's a little bit of a, of a scary, slippery slope. Uh, I don't know what options are available for the president. I honestly don't believe that until the 2018 elections are over, that the Democrats want DACA solved. They want this to be something to try to, to bludgeon the Republicans to death with, calling them heartless thugs, uh, although they're really they're the ones who said they wanted it, were given it, and then walked away from the table. Yeah, that's the craziest part about it, is that it's yeah. the Democrats who have you know, screwed the pooch on this, and it's not the Republicans' fault. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, let's see when this... Uh, this caravan gets here, what exactly goes down, and then we'll have you back on, David, and we'll talk about it. Great. Hey, always great being with you, Dave. Thanks for uh, having us, and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. Same to you now. Talking to to FAIR, uh, Federation American Immigration Reform. Uh, FAIR, it's fairus.org if you want to keep up with it. Uh, We've got a Fox News story about this caravan Let's play that, then we'll go to break, and then we'll come back, and we've got a guest in the studio. Uh, Janan Davis is going to be here with us, and she is running for Little Rock District Court, but that's a misnomer because it deals with all of Pulaski County. So stay tuned. we got more coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. President Trump is reacting to this report that the caravan of migrants from Central America is now making its way to enter the U.S. either illegally or seek asylum. William Lajeunesse is live for us in Los Angeles with more on that. William? Well, Heather, it is legitimate, according to the Border Patrol and my sources uh, and the Mexican press. The number's not that unusual. It's 1,500, only that the group is traveling together. They're advertising their journey on Facebook, raising money online. And instead of each family hiring their own smuggler, well, the trip was arranged by the group Pueblo Sin Fronteras, which offers humanitarian assistance to refugees. The group started out about a week ago on Mexico's southern border, 80% Honduran, men, women, and children. They've been walking, but depending on which train they take, They'll end in the U.S. about a week or two. The group will then literally turn themselves in and claim asylum, that they have a credible fear of persecution if forced to return home. 
you got to remember, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, and the smugglers are coaching them and telling them exactly what they need to say. So all they have to do is come here and claim that they fear to go back to their country, and they don't have to provide any evidence whatsoever. And that's where the problem happens. They'll get stopped by the Border Patrol. In 88% of the cases, an asylum officer will determine they do deserve to see an immigration judge. But because of the backlog that we have in the courts, that could take months or years. What happens in the meantime? If they're released and there are rules about how long you can keep families and children in detention, the likelihood they will not be seen again. So the president tweeted today that, quote, Mexico has the absolute power not to let these large caravans of people enter the country. They must stop them at their northern border, which they can do because their border laws work not to allow them to pass through into our country, which has no effective border laws. I want to mention it again. Man, will you quit <laughs> messing with me? Do you know how much I had to do last week just to get this to go right today? I'm playing the smallest violin for you, brother. Yeah, I know. My heart <laughs> bleeds for you. Pumps Coca-Cola. What can I tell you? Hey, don't forget about Safari Pets, 808 West Main, uh, in Cabot. They're number 628-0067. They have everything you need for taking care of your pet or pets. If you've ever been there, I mean, this is Arkansas's number one pet store. Uh, people come from Missouri, from Tennessee, from Mississippi, from Louisiana, and have come from as far as Arizona to shop there because they have everything that you need to take care of your pet or pets. And uh, they they do grooming. They do the whole nine yards. They've got. I bet you they got like six thousand different kinds of dog food. Oh, that might be a little hyperbole, but I'm just saying they got a lot. Of, of pet food uh, there at uh, their uh, business. It's a great place to go. And coming up on the 14th of this month, it's going to be their anniversary sale. They do that every year. Uh, we will probably be there the 13th to broadcast live to celebrate with them. And uh, they'll have all kinds of big, 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 big deals. I mean, I'm sure they'll have a lot of stuff that it's 50% off or more. It's just really crazy what they do. It's a huge blowout. Uh, we did it last year, and uh, people were, like, coming over and then would leave and come back because they couldn't find a parking place. The uh, parking lot was totally full. But uh, you, you've heard John and Jason on the show. You know what they're all about. Uh, keep in mind that the 14th is the anniversary sale, and you don't want to miss it, especially if you have, like, you know, two or three different kinds of pets or Maybe you want to get into a saltwater aquarium. You'll save a lot of money. Some of those, you get into a 50-gallon saltwater aquarium, you can spend six, $700 unless it's on the sales day, and you might only have to spend 250 or something. I'm not saying they got that deal, all right? Not saying that. Just saying I've seen it like that before. That's Safari Pets, 808 West Main in Cabot. Hey, in the studio uh, with us is Janan Davis. Janan Arnold Davis. Do I say it that way? You do. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm, it's got, you got it all. It's, see, at the top, it, it just says from Rainwater, the lawyer says Janan Davis. And then I look down here and it says Janan Arnold Davis. Well, I usually call myself Janan Davis when I'm introducing myself, but the, the Arnold is actually a nod to my father. Oh, my okay. father was a legislator for a number of years. And, um, you know, I want to always want to make sure and carry his name with me. And then, I've got a couple of cousins who, um, you know, have had pretty amazing legal careers that I wanted to keep the Arnold in there. For oh, that. well, that's cool. 
I like I like that. Well, you have had 14 years as the Maumel City Attorney, 20 plus years in private practice, and now you want to move behind the bench. That's correct. Okay, and explain to us if you would uh, about the Little Rock District Court. What is this position that you're seeking? What does it do, and what qualifies you for it? Well, you know, for years we called these courts in the various cities municipal courts or city courts. And a few years ago, um, after the adoption of what we call Amendment 80, the Constitution changed to convert all these municipal courts to district courts. And that created that three levels of courts in Arkansas system. So we have the district court level, which is the lowest. We have circuit court level, which is the next up. And then, of course, the appellate levels, which includes the Supreme Court and the Court of Appeals. So this would be would have been former Little Rock Municipal Court. Um, they are in, in Pulaski County. Most of the old district, uh, old municipal courts have been converted to district courts and are now full time judges. Um, and they have a lot of them have countywide jurisdiction. Little Rock District Court is no exception. There are three dis- divisions to Little Rock District Court. Um, there is the traffic division, the environmental division and then the criminal division. Um, I'm running for the criminal division. It's technically Division One of that court. Um, and even though it's called Little Rock District Court, it actually has countywide jurisdiction, and the electorate is countywide as well. Okay, so if if you're the district court, or it, trying to get my my head around this, all right, because I'm I'm more used to hearing city courts sure. instead of district courts. But you would be the person that, for instance, if uh, Jay Glee or, or his crew. Uh, was going to bring um, a murder case to the courts, it's going to come to you. Yes, it would come through district court, the criminal division on a fir- for a first appearance and for a bond setting. Um, that The district courts don't have jurisdiction to adjudicate a felony, so there are no jury trials, for instance, in a district court. Okay. Um, it's only bench trials. Um, you know, which is why the, the, really the, the demeanor, the, um, you know, experience, all those things of the judge, that's why it's critical at that level. Cause you don't, you don't have that buffer of the jury to make, be a fa- fact finder in that court. Um, it's just the judge. So for all felonies in Little Rock and, and arrests by LRPD and that sort of thing, then those are going to come through Little Rock district court for a first appearance in a bond setting. Okay. So you're the person that says, yeah, I'll let you out if you can post 10 grand. Okay. However, because of what you've done, it's going to be $100,000 for you. That's correct. That's correct. You know, there's a number of factors that the judges have to take into account for a bond setting. And, um, you know, the, the evidence um, weighs in there. But for the most part, it's, it's a question of whether or not that person can be, will appear for court. It's just a question of, um, you know, are they going to return for their court appearance? And there's a number of things that are set forth in the statute and the cases for us to look at on that issue. All right, we're going to come back and talk more with Janan Arnold Davis and let her tell you why she wants your vote uh, when we come back. Uh, I got a question, but I'm not going to ask it because if I do, I'm going to run us over away from news. But let's get to the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. She wants to be elected to the Little Rock District Court. Uh, I want to get something clarified for you right off the bat. You remember David Sterling was here a couple of weeks ago talking about the Supreme Court, and he's running for the Supreme Court. But he reminded you that the actual election is on primary day. That's correct. That's a, that's where you decide on, on that judgeship. Well, I was talking to Ms. Davis, and I said, are you guys being elected in May? And she said, yep. 
that's just silly that they did it this way. I agree. I, you know, I think the intention behind changing some of these elections was a good intention, but maybe not all that practical because the information hadn't gotten out there. So um, all the nonpartisan judicial races, of course, they are nonpartisan. That's another, you know, something that we've changed and clarified. Um, but they um, are all in during the May primary. So people are confused. They are wondering whether it'll be on, you know, which ballot will it be on? Will it be on my ballot? It'll be on both Republican or Democrat ballots. Um, and will be, a, you know, the decision will be made on May the 22nd. Yeah. Keep that in mind. When you cast your ballot and you mark who you think should be judge in whatever race it is, that's it. You don't get, you don't do it again in November. It's May and done. Well, and now if there's a runoff in a judicial race, that runoff is in in November. Now that's crazy too. So that's, that's probably our, our longest runoff period in, in the state for sure. Um, it's hard for most people to even comprehend that, that length of a runoff, but that will be in November if there so, is one. So now if you win in May, do you have to wait all the way to the beginning of the next year to take your position? Yes. The term will be, it'll begin January of 2019. No one ever said that politics is the smartest thing in the world in any state. Yep. This is one of the kind of really crazy things that and weird things we got going on here in Arkansas, but that's okay. We're just we're letting you know. I'd also point out that uh, you can, if you're not interested in voting in the Republican or the Democrat primary, there's a nonpartisan ballot. Oh, okay. So you, you can ask for that. You can ask for that. All right. See, that costs extra money. That's see, that's another reason I don't like this. Yeah. <laughs> Bill, Bill knows about me and money, don't you? Yeah, Bill? You, you know about me and primaries. Yeah, too. I know <laughs> you about primaries as well and special <laughs> elections. Both of us agree about special elections. So, uh, Janan, explain to us why this position and and now i mean well you know um my as of tomorrow actually i will have been practicing law in arkansas for 21 years wow tomorrow's my 21 year anniversary um and i started out my practice as a criminal defense attorney working on white collar crime cases and civil litigation and then um not long after that i was elected as a city attorney in Maumel, so i was the prosecutor there in district court um, that was a part-time job. And so my other part-time job was to work with Mike Rainwater doing defense for counties. And I work with a lot of law enforcement agencies doing that. Um, so all of my experience really has been on the criminal justice side of the law. And it, but I, it's been on both sides, both, both, both as a prosecutor and as a defense attorney. Um, and what I have done a lot of is had really one-on-one -on -one contact with the people who are in the court. And when we're in district court, you see that a lot. There, Of course, there's very often a, a city attorney or a county prosecutor who's, who's there, who's mm -hmm. stationed in that court. There's a, usually a public defender, and sometimes you even have private attorneys come in there. But this court really is a, a, a very close connection between the court and the people who are in the court. And that's really where I have done most of my practice and really uh, felt like I've made most of the difference. So um, this was not something that I was sort of looking for. Um, I was It was during a period of time where I was practicing completely uh, with Mike at the, uh, doing defense work. And uh, Judge Lytle actually um, decided to retire suddenly. This was not, you know, she. Uh, this is not the end of a term. Um, I was sitting for her as a special judge the week that she decided to retire and I really felt like this was the place that I was supposed to be. This is a, um, you know, an area that I've I've been done a lot of work in. I've been interested in, but it's in a court that I don't have a connection, particularly to one side or the other. So, you know, when 
for instance, when Maumel, um, the district judge out there, decided to retire and, and that race was up a couple of years ago, or actually it's been more than that now, I really didn't feel like that was the place for me to be because I was so connected to the police officers in Maumel having acted as their prosecutor for so long. Um, but this court, I think, will give me the opportunity to really kind of put my experience um, to work for the, the community, for Pulaski County, um, but not necessarily be connected to one side or the other. All right. Now, don't take my question wrong. Okay. All right. I'm just wondering, you've got all this, this plethora of experience, and you're going to the lowest part of the court system where, you know, no, no jury trials or anything like that. Don't you think you're going to get tired if you get elected to this and you don't want to just move up the the food chain and, and take on some of the, you know, the, the real meat and potatoes of the justice system? Well, you know, I mean, I, I can I can see where it might look that way, um, that it's the lowest part. But the truth is, that's really where the the judge is most connected to the people. And and while I've done appeals and I've worked actually worked for the Court of Appeals for a year, Judge Rofe over there, um, and I love to, to do writing. This, I think, is really where the rubber meets the road um, in the criminal justice system. This is really where a lot of time, a lot of first time offenders are in district court. A lot of times this is um, someone's, you know, they may be a victim. This may be the first time they've ever walked into a criminal courtroom and, and don't really know what to expect. And that's really where I think my strengths are. That's what um, I'm most enthusiastic about, not just as a lawyer, but really as a person. So you think you can have a direct effect of the people who would be passing through your court then? I really do. You know, when I was the prosecutor out in Maumelle, we worked real hard to come up with some types of programs to give some meaningful consequences to people who'd made wrong decisions, but at the same time to kind of help them, to help redirect them um, going forward. You know, at, when I was the prosecutor in Maumelle, when I was the city attorney out there, that was during the period of time where we couldn't get people into the Pulaski County Jail. There was one year where Maumelle got eight people in the Pulaski County Jail because of overcrowding. And, you know, what I don't want to see is us filling up Pulaski County with misdemeanor offenses, things like, um, you know, uh, you know, whether it's a hot check or even, you know, low level possession charges and not having room for those felony offenders or those violent offenders who come through and need to be held without a bond. So I think there's an opportunity here to kind of make a difference in the life of the people who are coming through district court and charged with misdemeanors to give them, you know, some consequences and ha- but maybe have them pay back the, you know, the result of that through um, community service or some other way rather than sticking them in the Pulaski County Jail and using that space and those tax dollars on those people. Well, I got to think that there are people that come through the justice system that have committed crimes that for whatever reason kind of just being a dumbass, you know, and get sure. them, get themselves caught up into something that they're still going to be some viable citizens. And uh, it's up to people like you to be able to kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. I think so. And, you know, we it, Little Rock District Court does have access to, I think there are eight probation officers over there. And so to me, that really presents an opportunity to kind of slow down, find out what, what got a person to the place where they are. And a lot of times it's just a matter of connecting them with resources that we already have, programs that already exist so that we can get them on the right path and get them out of the situation that put them there in district court. Okay, so explain to the listeners why it's important for them to understand. It says Little Rock District Court, 
but it's really a uh, it's really like the Pulaski County District Court. That's right. You know, um, technically, the the court we call Pulaski County District Court is over on Roosevelt Road, and uh, Judge Gruber is over there. And, and this is not for his position. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure I make that clear. Um, this is for Little Rock District Court, but it is uh, voted on by the entire county, Pulaski County. So whether, in fact. You know, I don't live in Little Rock. I live out in Maumelle. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody in the county, Maumelle, Sherwood, Jacksonville, Gravel Ridge, North Little Rock, everyone votes in this particular election. Um, and it will be, you know, available to all of them on, on any of the three ballots, Democrat, Republican, or nonpartisan. So, again, because of your experience uh, there in Maumelle and some of the other things that you've done, you think you have the – it sounds like that this is kind of like a, a really – administrative kind of position as well that you'll be able to handle this easily yes sir you know i over the last uh three years or so um the judges there in, in little rock district court of the three judges I, i've set for them as a special judge over 40 times even as recently as last week um you know and that that says something i think because they're also elected so they're not going to have someone come and act on their behalf who they don't trust mm-hmm. to act um so i have the experience the first-hand experience in that very courtroom um i understand how it works i understand how the process works and for those administrative type duties you know i can step in on day one and take over and begin and just keep going and there'll be you know no lapse in time or no no lag time um you know for those judgment decisions when we're talking about um, making judgments on misdemeanor offenses. Um, you know, I've got that experience as well. And, and my temperament and my, you know, just my, my courtroom experience is what's going to be critical in those cases. All right. She's asking for your vote. That is uh, Janine Arnold Davis. And she wants your vote for Little Rock District Court. She'll be on uh, the ballot. She got three other challengers. That's correct. So uh, if they call, I'll get them on. But if they don't call, you know that, you know, she wanted to talk to you <laughs> and tell you, you know, what was important about this position. I appreciate you coming in. Thanks so much for having me. If you want to get on another time? You just let me know. We can make that happen. I'll do that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. We've got to get a break in. Let's do that. When we come back, we'll finish up this hour. Next hour, Conduit for Action. And then uh, my buddy, Robert Steinbach, will be with me in the last hour. And we got some free speech issues we got to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick show. All right. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick show. Hey, my thanks to, uh, uh, Janine Arnold Davis, who's running for little rock district court. Thank her for coming by and uh, talking today, uh, about her wanting your vote, uh, for that position. Got courtroom experience is, uh, as proven compassion as she likes to say, but keep in mind May 22nd, which is primary day. Uh, is uh, final vote day for the judges' races, like for David Sterling for Supreme Court and things of that nature. Uh, David Sterling uh, is somebody you should take a really long and hard look at. Uh, very, very well-qualified candidate uh, out there that would be uh, great for you to uh, be thinking about. Uh, some different things that have happened uh, this, uh, early afternoon, Winnie Mandela, the uh, former wife, Mandela, the former wife of South African, uh, anti-apartheid icon, Nelson Mandela has died at the age of 81. She died in a Johannesburg hospital after a long illness. 
Uh, Mandela, who was married to Nelson Mandela for 38 years, played a high-profile role in the battle to end white minority rule, but her place in history was also stained by controversy. Quote, is it with profound sadness that we informed the public uh, that Mrs. Winnie Mandela passed away at the NetCare Mill Park Hospital in Johannesburg, South Africa, on Monday uh, came the statement. Uh, she died after a long illness. Most of Winnie's marriage to Nelson was spent apart with Nelson in prison for 27 years, leaving her to raise their two daughters alone and to keep alive his political dream until the repressive white minority regime came to an end. But her reputation came under damaging scrutiny in the twilight years of uh, apartheid rule. In 86, she was widely linked to necklacing when uh, suspected traders were burnt alive by a petrol-soaked car tire being put over their head and set alight. In 1990, the world watched when Nelson Mandela finally walked out of prison hand-in-hand with Winnie. The following year, she was convicted of kidnapping and assault over the killing of uh, a 14-year-old boy. In 1992, the Mandela separated and then divorced. In 1996, after a legal wrangle that revealed she had had an affair with a young bodyguard. Uh, But uh, she has passed away at uh, the age of uh, 81 years old. There's been an update on the Roseanne story. Kind of interesting. Uh, Roseanne's ratings... Riches keep climbing, hitting a record haul for Nielsen's live plus three-day ratings growth. The new totals for the March 27th premiere have the comedy totaling 25 million viewers and a massive 7.3 rating among adults 18 to 49. Looking at just the audience, the $6.6 million add-on from the premiere night is a time-shifting record. And that doesn't even include the additional 4.3 million viewers who turned into an encore telecast on Sunday night or the growth that we'll see from Hulu and ABC streaming. The last series to add nearly as many viewers in three-day playback was the series premiere of ABC's How to Get Away with Murder way back in September of 2014. But the minutia of Roseanne's premiere success isn't just that it was big it would surely get bigger more than justify the speedy renewal and then finally cnn is being mocked for glorifying jfk's legendary infidelities after harping on sex allegations against trump cnn was slammed for hypocrisy over the weekend when the network glorified President John F. Kennedy's many infidelities after uh, spending significant coverage painting President Trump as a monster for an alleged affair that occurred prior to his political career. While promoting the Kennedys, CNN hailed the 35th president's legendary love life before asking, did one of his affairs connect him uh, with the mob? The tweet featured video detailing JFK's relationship with actress Judy Campbell, who was allegedly intimate with the head of the Chicago Mafia while also having an affair with the president. 
of course, that was uh, the head of the mafia there in Chicago, Sam Giancana. So, yeah, there's, it's interesting, is it not, that when it comes to the Democrats, it's uh, a legendary love life. Uh, his, you know, hypocrisy, it's really hypocr- uh, hypocrisy at its finest. Author uh, Joshua Kendall responded that, quote, legendary love life is a poor choice of words because it makes JFK's infidelity sound, quote, glamorous. Well, look, I had I read an article the other day that said that, you know, Kennedy's uh, time as president was less Camelot and more Caliglia uh, at that time. I mean, I, I'm trying to think, Betty Thomas, I talked to her several times, uh, and she was part of the press cl- uh, corps at that time. And, you know, Betty was a, a real progressive and all of that. But she said that she thought that the way that they covered uh, the sexual escapades of the presidents was the right way, which was not to talk about them at all. I mean, other times that I sat at table with her um, after hours and would be talking, and, and, and she readily admitted that they knew what was going on like at the swimming pool at the white house. Uh, there was, you know, basically orgies going on there and uh, nobody mentioned it in any kind of press clippings. It wouldn't have been a fair game, so to speak, but, uh, all this has been going on forever, just forever. Daily call caller, media reporter, Amber athlete quoted CNN's promotional tweet and wrote, well, that's certainly an interesting way to describe having numerous affairs while president. I think we need to get Anderson Cooper on this to find out if JLK was wearing a condom. After seeing the promo pundit Stephen Miller sarcastically channeled his inner CNN and asked, why does no one take us seriously when we constantly talk about Trump's behavior with women? Now, uh, Cooper, who's CNN's biggest star, had sat down with both Playboy playmate Karen McDougal and porn actress Stormy Daniels in recent days to ask detailed questions about their alleged affairs with Trump. CNN has spent significant time analyzing all aspects of the alleged affairs, including questions about intimate details. Respected DuPaul University professor Jeffrey McCall Penned an op-ed for the Hill Friday highlight high, high, headlined, CNN lost its way and struggled to find an audience. So I'm just going to tell you, uh, you know, the whole fake news, the whole, you know, news, uh, the news uh, organizations have a bent. It's more true than you'll probably ever know. Well, conventional wisdom says you should delay claiming Social Security to maximize your benefits. But that strategy today could wind up costing you tens of thousands of dollars. There's a lot more to claiming your Social Security benefits than you know. Your decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums. Ultimately, it could end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars, possibly more. Learn how you could avoid this with a free, customized Social Security review from David Lucas of David Lucas Financial right here in North Little Rock. David's a published author, host of the David Lucas Show, right here on 101.1, The Answer. If you've saved $200,000 for retirement, 
be one of the first 10 callers to schedule your free review now at 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. All right, Conduit for Action up in the next hour. Going to talk about corruption in Arkansas politics. That's coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101 uh, FM, The Answer. All right, so we're uh, into the 4 o'clock hour. Conduit for Action is going to join us. We're going to uh, we're going to talk about, you know, corruption. I want to talk about corruption today. Great article that I, I read uh, today from uh, Conduit for Action that I thought was very, very well written and very, very good. And uh, we will uh, get into that here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, before we do that, though, let's get them on the air. we got to do that. And Brenda and Joel are here. How you all doing? Uh, have a good Easter weekend? We did. How, how about you? It was fantastic. We had, we had great services uh, here. I go to uh, New Life Church in Cabot, and, uh, man, we were full to the brim. We had people, I'm glad the fire marshal didn't come by, to be honest, because we had some people standing up uh, in our two services on Sunday, and uh, they were full on Saturday night. Hey, how about the radio station changeover? How did that go for you guys? It's, going, it, it's going great. We're getting some really good feedback, uh, because now, where we were a little bit spotty around Conway, we're not that anymore. We are coming in loud and clear in Conway, all the way up to Moralton out in Greenbrier, all those areas now can listen to us and uh, can enjoy, uh, you know, Paul's show in the morning from 6 to 8, my show here uh, from 2 to 6, and all of of the other shows. And today, uh, one of my favorite dudes that works for Salem, uh, Larry Elder, will be on starting at 6 o'clock, and he is such a great talk show host. I can't wait uh, for people. We've been running him tape-delayed, in a very late or very early, whichever way you want to look at it, time slot. Now he'll be in a time slot. People can hear him uh, talking uh, here on the station. I think they're going to really like Larry Elder. He is a great, great uh, host. Did you say that's live at 6 p.m.? Yeah, I don't think he's live. I think that he goes about the same time I do, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Russ? Oh, okay. So six to eight is live. Six then. to eight is live. Okay. Eight to nine is going to be uh, his actual first hour. Okay. No, well, that's fine. That that'll, that'll work. I mean, basically, what well, you know, we're two hours behind, so he comes on at four o'clock, evidently, out on Pacific Coast time, because he's out there in L.A. You know, he he's out there with all the fruit, nuts, and flakes. So. Uh, he, he's got to. De- I'm glad he's got to deal with them. I don't have to deal with them because they are. They are. They're just so out of it out there. They don't even know they're out of it. Uh, they've they've left the park. They went so far left. Let's just put it that way. So you all looked at corruption here in the state of of Arkansas. There has been over the last two and a half years, I would say three years, a lot of corruption. This this might be the kind of corruption that that uh, is like what went on uh, maybe a decade or two back uh, where they had so much corruption. 
why does it run that way? Do you guys, you got, Joe, you got any kind of thoughts on that? It's like it cleans itself up a little bit or they just get better at it and we don't know about it. Uh, but yeah, I uh, think they find new ways. I think it's been this way for quite a long time in Arkansas. Unfortunately, I, I had hoped that with better people uh, being elected that it would get better and it very well may, but not looking good right now. Yeah, well, I agree with you. I mean, we've got so many outstanding cases, and we've had people that have just here recently, you know, stepped down uh, because they they knew there was stuff coming out. Uh, I'm trying to think who's the pastor that just that just got you know they caught him in that whole scandal. I mean, he was he was funneling money to his church. Uh, talking about. Um, um, Paris. No, Hank Hank Wilkins. Yeah, Wilkins. Bluff, senator, uh, you know, term limited senator. Is that who you're referencing? Yeah, Wilkins. That's who I'm talking about. Uh, but I think the reason for so much corruption right now, I, I had written an article a couple of years ago about how to cure corruption in Arkansas is to reduce the amount of money that goes in. And if you look at it, I think probably the, the previous uh, wave also rode in a wave of money. And so the more money you have and the less transparency, uh, human nature is corrupt, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Power, you know, you know, if power corrupts, absolutely, you know, absolute power absolutely corrupts. I mean, we, we know that as well. And with all the money that for years that they were being given to kind of freely spread around like, you know, cow manure, uh, unbelievable uh, that there wasn't more of this, or if maybe it was going on and, and all of us just didn't know it was going on. Well, it seems like the the people will accept a certain amount of corruption because they don't really know the details. And whenever, for example, in our case, when we point out some corruption, then somebody will come on the radio like J.R. Davis or somebody and say that we're corrupt or we're liars. And then people... They don't know which one to believe, and they think everybody's a liar. So, you know, it's important to get, uh, for me anyway, to put out facts that are provable and, you know, what was lied about and, and backing it up, whereas just to throw out, throw out you know, he's a liar, just it kind of clouds the whole issue, and people just get disgusted and throw their hands up. And I think that's a technique. Well, I mean, you know, I would prefer not to talk about corruption because I would prefer there not to be any. But if we don't talk about it, we can pretend there's none. I mean, when we went and decided to try to go after John Woods and have him replaced as a senator, uh, we were met with a lot of opposition among our friends and among, you know, conservative legislators who said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. And especially don't act like you're my friend anymore because people will come after us. So corruption continues and grows and festers until it reaches the boiling point where we are right now because good people do nothing. Well, and, and there's good people in the state legislature, the Senate, and the House. We know them to be good people. And they watch this stuff and say nothing and will not help us and others eradicate it well you know try to replace the people and, and that's that's a a big big uh story in and of itself i believe guys and that is the people it, it's kind of like the whole thing of, of in in 
parts of our communities in Arkansas, it's that you shouldn't ever snitch. You know, you never, you never tell the police about anything. And I, I sit and I, and I hear those people talk, but yet, and I think how terrible that is, but yet the same thing goes on up there at the Capitol. Some of these people know that people are breaking the law and they don't say anything. What, what promotes that type of a, of a culture? Well, let me give you an example. This, you, this weekend, you go to a store with, a, with one of your good friends you haven't seen in a while. And you're walking down the aisles, and that friend of yours that, that is a good friend starts putting merchandise in their pocket, mm-hmm. shoplifting. I mean, that puts you in a situation where you're, you're not going to turn them into the store manager because they'll get in trouble, possibly. But you will tell him, hey, that's not right. I don't, I don't want to be part of this. So it's, it's a similar situation. Well, another point, though, like you say a lot of times, once you uncover something, who do you tell? And so a lot of, these, a lot of our good legislators may turn around and look and say, well, who am I going to report this to? The, the highest point of our government? I mean, you yeah, know, maybe they're in on it. The Ethics know? Commission is, is there based on the governor's appointments. So, you know, do you tell them? Yeah. You know, it's a good point. We, we ask ourselves that question all the time is, who could you possibly show this to that is in a position to do something about it? And, yeah. And many times it's nobody. And it's usually only the voter. Ultimately, yeah, and, and that's where we get at odds with legislators. Hey, <laughs> and, tell the voters the truth. How about how about this? You know, you all you write, uh, you know, columns uh, every few days. You know, you've got a lot of uh, uh, facts for people to look at. But it seems like to me, for you all and for other uh, bloggers and things of that nature, uh, unless somebody in the quote major media that would be you know like here in Arkansas 11 7 16 4 uh or I don't know what the numbers are up there in uh in Fort Smith and over up top uh, in the Fayetteville area and things unless they pick it up or the dim gas picks it up nobody pays much attention to it well that that's exacerbated by the collusion of big government and liberal media. Wait, I have to be mean for just a second. I remember uh, our governor saying two weeks ago what no one else's message is getting out because of conduit. <laughs> so I think you're right as opposed to what the governor inferred or said. But I mean, seriously. Yeah, a little bit like whining to me. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you know, you know, maybe I talk about something on the air. I've been talking about this uh, stuff about the Little Rock uh, ID card. Uh, that they keep kind of talking about, but everybody says, eh, it won't happen. And I've heard from my sources that within the next few weeks, it's going to be, uh, it's going to happen. And it's, it's going to cause a big brouhaha in this state because you don't do that unless you basically want to be a sanctuary city. So I, but nobody else is talking about it. Nobody, nobody's looking into it or, or, or anything like that. I, I, I sit back sometimes and cross my arms and just kind of, you know, um, cluck my tongue against my, the roof of my mouth, wondering what the heck is going on. Well, well there's two parts to this, uh, what you speak of. 
One is knowing what's going on and then telling people what's going on. And then there's the what do the people that hear it do about it. Mm. So, you know, that has to be all handled in a, in a coherent way where if any one of those pieces is not there, then, again, it's, it's nothing but noise. Yeah. And, 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 well, I wanted to bring up, um, you know, if I could, when you tell people, I mean, the people who don't want your message to go out, all they have to do is say, oh, you're lying. Yeah, which, which has happened, as you know, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that people like you and us will push back when, when they say, you know, Dave was on the radio and all he did was lie about me. Well, I will say, well, tell me how. Give me an example. But in our case, they, they rarely are able to give an example. I haven't heard one. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I I don't understand, you know, I don't, I don't get why why uh, the media, and I guess from your perspective, Joe, you believe that the media is in, is in the hands of the news media or the news makers, so to speak, and uh, they feed them and they just regurgitate what they're fed. I saw that in Indianapolis for a while until, you know, some people started asking questions and big stories came out of it. And now, you know, they always question. They don't just take people's words for it anymore. What about the newspaper and other radio stations that they're not really raising much of a ruckus about what the Republican-led state government is doing? And that seems odd to me, but I bet you that they'll ramp that up about October. <laughs> well, you think that they're going to— I would think that a lot of the media has, has a more uh, progressive bias than uh, what we— what most people think they elected in Arkansas the last few cycles. And so I would predict part of what they see is, you know, they're good with it. So just right. leave what, it alone. Right. What would they be bad with? I mean, government has gotten bigger. Sanctuary uh, politics is more in favor of, you know, the liberal point of view. Uh, we got Medicaid expansion, and we don't have a, a strong stand on religious liberty. You know, the, the, what what's not to like from I mean, from the liberal reporter's standpoint? I mean, I kind of wonder every now and then, has John Brummett gone conservative? Which we know that's not true. Uh, read read what he says about, you know, when you really get an honest liberal. Oh, oh yeah, we, uh, and that's another thing is we're uh, characterized as radical, and we still, we get no examples of we're extremist or, you know, we're radical fringe. I think it's spending your own money is what they try to say is radical. Oh, and yeah, and and standing up for the Republican platform is radical nowadays? Maybe so. Well, you're not a regular Republican. Yeah, maybe we ought to just go home, Dave. So so here's a question for you, Joe. Uh, Since uh, Cooper wrote that op-ed and basically, you know, called you guys out, has the newspaper called you and and asked if you would write an op-ed? No, they never would. Uh, we actually sent something to them Thursday or Friday, and you know, in case they, you know, had the, you know, the fair, the sense of fairness to to print something. But, right. Yeah. Well, third uh, or fourth article he's done. Yeah. Not yeah. quite this bad. This is the worst one. Well, John Cooper attacks because he knows that we know what he's about, and you know that makes people angry. Well, we've played that that piece where you know he said he was against Medicaid expansion and all that. I'm. 
I mean, I talked about that here on the air. I was, you know, I was one of those folks that thought that he was going to be a real addition, uh, for uh, conservative Republicanism. And, uh, he was not, he, it took him about 15 minutes of being in the Capitol for him to change. And uh, he is double, he doubles down, you know, that's, that's why I would refer to him as lap dog. Cause uh, I mean, that's just the only term you can come up with for that guy. But it's, it was funny if you read that article that he complains about name calling and that's all he does in that article. <laughs> yeah. I heard Chuck Tucker Carlson call that Freudian projection the other day. I thought he's stealing our list, but maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, other human nature, you know, is, can be described. Um, you know, I, I will say about our article that you were so kind to mention at the beginning of the show, uh, while Little Rock Burns on Conduit for Action's website is doing quite well on, on Facebook and so forth. But at the end, what we like to do, Conduit for Action, means that we want to cause people to, you know, produce, we write something so it will produce an action. And so this article should upset anyone who reads it, and if they want to call it a lie, we'll, you know, let us know what the lie is. But it should call people to learn what the issues are and who they're voting for. You know, what, what are you going to do about it, listener and reader? You know, are you going to reelect the same people who, want, who block the disclosure bills like we mentioned? Or are you going to find out who's blocking it and why are you running someone against uh, the legislators that we have who will stand up? Yeah, I'm with you. All right, got to get a break in. I, uh, I, I want to wish a happy birthday, if I'm not mistaken, to Josh Miller today. I think yes. today is his birthday. <laughs> happy so, birthday, Josh. so we wanted to say happy birthday to him. Uh, he has been fighting a good fight and uh, was tried to, uh, you know, be replaced in the last election cycle. Didn't work out so well for the people who were trying to do that. And uh, we just wanted to wish him a very happy birthday today from the Dave Ellswick Show. We're going to come back with conduit for action they're talking about an arcan or a story that they did uh that is out there and it's called while little rock burns and it's about arkansas corruption we'll take a look at that story uh with brenda and joe when we return here on the dave ellswick show don't forget about sunny's auto salvage your number one choice for recycled auto parts uh i've gotten a transmission for my uh 2009 uh uh, a car and, and had it fixed by them. They've got the mechanics. Uh, they've got the, uh, well-maintained total loss vehicles that they pull these parts off of. They're the ones that can give you a three year, uh, parts and labor, thir- uh, unlimited, unlimited mileage, uh, warranty. And, uh, you know, RD and his, his crew over at Sunny's auto salvage will do a great job in helping you. You know, auto recyclers provide jobs and contribute to the economy, and they do it without government funding. They invest to find more efficient ways to reduce, reuse, and recycle. They play an important role in keeping Arkansas the natural state. Remember that uh, Sunny's is local, family-oriented, providing jobs in the community and the state. That Sunny's Auto Salvage, you need something, you call them, 982-7451-982-7451. Uh, Brenda and Joe with us from Conduit for Action. The article that has uh, gone up that you should take a look at is uh, at conduitforaction.org. Uh, while Little Rock Burns. 
That's the name of it. While Little Rock Burns. And uh, I'll just read the very beginning of this. Then we're going to come back after the news to talk about it. There's an epidemic of public corruption in Arkansas. It's hard to keep up with all the new stories of bribery, fraud, and corruption. Uh, we're going to talk about this partial list of Arkansans who recently were found guilty, admitted guilt, or are subject to uh, prosecution. So uh, stay for uh, that. Uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot that uh, is mentioned in this article that may have escaped your purview at the time that it was happening, and you need to know what's going on. And then maybe, just maybe, we can get some real ethics uh, changes, uh, but it's got to have ethics with teeth. We'll talk about it when we come back. Uh, we got about 25 minutes left with Conduit for Action. Uh, they are on the line with us right now. Uh, Conduit for Action dot org is the website to go to take a look at uh that uh, story that we were talking about arkansas uh corruption it's uh it's a good it's a very good story i gotta tell you i sat down and read it today uh took a close look at it and uh they just uh continual uh, continue to you know name the facts of uh, what's going on uh here uh, in Arkansas. So, uh, you know, while little rock burns, you know, I'm just telling you, it's, um, it's an eye opener for most people. I mean, who, who came up with the idea to, to, uh, to do, to do this one guys. This is, this is our second article on this subject. I mean, it's what we talk about all the time. Well, well, yeah. And it's important to bring to the fore, uh, who, who's who and what's what when people are, are going to make a very important decision in this primary election season, you know, they're going to decide whether or not people that are part of this are going to be reelected or people that are opposing it are reelected. And strangely enough, we just talked to Brian King. He stopped by the office and he was in here a few minutes ago, which, uh, you know, he's one of the ones that has tried very hard uh, to the detriment of his career and uh, probably his business to stop some of this stuff. So I did want to mention that the three most hated people in Arkansas politics were in the same room at the same time just moments ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian, of course, he tried to do some stuff, uh, you know, opening up some transparency about the business dealings of you know, was uh, this company working with these legislators and things of that nature about Medicaid expansion, correct? Yes, uh, several bills, and some of them he could not even get as much as a second in the Republican Majority Committee. Yeah, Medicaid disclosure. Which, which is just, I mean, that is just about the saddest thing that I could think about. Well, we're talking about, um, you know, kickbacks, uh, payoffs, that kind of thing for the John Woods, for example, or Mike O'Neill. Uh, and, you know, Jake files a little bit different twist on it. But when you have attorneys who are legislators or you have retired locomotion, locomotive engineers setting up a consulting firm or you have the musician John Woods setting up a consulting firm, then what are they going to consult about? Music and, and trains, I would assume. But no, what you find is they consult about passing bills and the lawyers uh, are paid by their clients about passing bills, and they put in their contract with their clients, 
oh, but not lobbying, and that's supposed to make it okay. And I think that we're on the tip of the iceberg uh, if we do um, have in Arkansas what looks like is about to happen. We'll have a lot more uh, disclosure, if you will, by the FBI and the courts about what's been going on. Well, it, it, it seems to me like if Senator Hendren wanted to reestablish the integrity of the Senate, you know, he would start by passing, helping getting some of these things passed for, you know, more visibility, more disclosure. Yeah. I mean, what do you guys suggest? I mean, you, you, you wrote this article. It's a really good article. Is it something that we need to look at? Maybe I need to bring some legislators in here that, you know, uh, want to make some changes and start talking about them. I mean, I, I don't know those people. I, it's not a part of, of, uh, the stories that I have really been talking about other than, uh, when charges are brought, uh, how do we stop that? I mean, look, uh, Wood did everything he could with issue three a few years ago to kind of blow a hole in the middle of all that. The, the, uh, sunshine on, or transparency, if you will, on what, uh, legislators are doing will uh, be a major step forward, not just, you know, record the votes, which will certainly is helpful, but the two bills that are mentioned in this article, one by uh, was uh, proposed by Senator Brian King, one by Senator Linda Collins-Smith, would at least expose a lot of this, and if someone answered, you know, a lie, well, you know, they've at least lied, and they've, they've uh, you know, reflected something other than the truth when that's found out. But to know that, for example, uh, what if Michael Lamoureux had been paid as an attorney by uh, preferred uh, family services or health care services, the subject of the article by uh, Doug Thompson in yesterday's uh, paper, which actually looked like a follow-up to our article that was published on Thursday, in fact. But to disclose contracts between Medicaid providers, people that the state of Arkansas pays millions of dollars to, like the preferred health care company that we're talking about here, if they disclosed every legislator that they had that they paid money to, hey, that would go a long way to know what's going on, wouldn't it? And then, then that legislator would have to account to his uh, voter base as to what he was getting paid to do. And just like uh, the attorneys who are taking money from special interests, uh, and and con- uh, consultants, they're consulting with a special interest to do what? How to build a locomotive? I mean, seriously. You know, it's, it, it looks like pay to play or pay to broker their bill. And um, if we knew that and could see it or even create law against it, that would go a long way, and that's what those two bills do. Yeah, you know what, Dave, I don't think that you can, you know, identify every single issue of corruption or the degree of corruption in any great sense for voters, because you know a lot of people will believe what they believe, but what we try to do is bring out the most egregious ones and assign them, if applicable, to a person, and then let the voters decide whether they should reelect them. And that's why we try to find candidates who would, and we support those that would move these bills forward. But when you have, you know, we got a, a lot of headwind against this uh, because you've got governor's appointments. He's got the power to appoint people to different committees or, or the speaker does and then appoint them to positions in government. 
they can come up with fake numbers all day long that you have a hard time disproving because they're in charge of the numbers. There's, you know, the nepotism situation going on. Define that. Well, that's what, yeah, well, that's when you hire people that are related to you uh, because they'll do what you tell them to. And then there's this, this, you know, the shakedown. You know, I know it's been said more than once in the governor's office that when someone wants to get something or wants to pass a bill, someone other than the governor will let them know that there is a governor's pack, you know, on the way out. Mm-hmm. So those are the kinds of things that are hard to come back because they're not direct violations. They're real subtle, but they're not right. All right. So, so being aware of these things, you know, we try to let people have enough information that they can make informed votes, hopefully votes from a, a position of honesty for the primaries, which are where you decide what your government's going to be now. Yeah, we're we're not that far away now. We're a couple of months, uh, well, one month away on the 22nd. I mean, May 22nd is primary day, so now push comes to shove, rubber's hitting the road the way it's supposed to, and we're going to have to make some decisions here in about, what, uh, four, seven weeks, I guess, is what we're going to have to make a, a decision about who are the people that we want to, to really lead the party. But when you're looking at corruption, am, am I wrong in saying wherever the most money is uh, collected at, that's probably where the most corruption will occur? Absolutely. That's fair. All right. So right now, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you have marked uh, here in this article People that you've mentioned, I mean, I can come, I got the article right here in front of me. John Woods, Mike O'Neill, Senator, uh, not really Files, uh, who are we looking at? Uh, We've got uh, State Senator and Lobbyist Eddie Cooper, Hank Wilkins, uh, Representative uh, uh, Steve Jones. Most of these all deal with some form of health care with Medicaid expansion. That's where a lot of this is happening. Does there need to be some kind of uh, piece of legislation tried to be run and try to get the public behind it that says that a representative or a state senator, when they leave office, can't become a paid lobbyist or even a uh, non-paid lobbyist for maybe five years and keep them out of this so that you don't have those type of people in, you know, working uh, against the system, so to speak? Well, there's current law that exists. It's supposed to be a two-year cooling-off period, but we saw John Burris get a job with Centene immediately and, and, of course, claimed he was not lobbying. I'm sure his contract said he was not lobbying, but he was there in the governor's office in the Capitol daily. Yeah, we yeah, saw him We saw him walking around the Capitol. And, and the best I can tell your audience is, Condit will have a, a recommended candidates to vote for in the primary, and it's based on all the material we put out and what we know. And this this information is hard to uh, look at, and uh, who wants to learn that you're, you know, the first reaction, well, we knew they were all crooks. Yeah. Well, they are not all crooks. Or it's not my representative, it's the other guys. Yeah. Well, and, I, you know, but but the 
if we want to stay a free state, a free country, we, we cannot afford to give up our freedoms by not paying attention and not looking because it's hard. You know, people don't like the way we uh, say things on the radio. They think, they think Paul is uh, uh, disrespectful or, or whatever. But, you know, how, how are you going to listen to a guy that says uh, hard things really, really nice? I mean, Well, I mean, the, the Republicans have had at least three years to nicely fix this. They're not going to do it. It's, it's going to take somebody that's not nice. And I, and I vote for you, Dave. Uh, no, I, I'm just, I look at this and it, it makes me scratch my head because it, it lays at the feet of the voters a lot, Joe. I mean, we can't get them inspired to go out and literally, as the old saying used to go, throw the bums out that need to be thrown out. I mean, you people should look at this article and there's a lot more that are sitting over there. I mean, I've heard... Uh, the rumors over there, my sources have told me that uh, there's still a lot of people that are going to be, you know, indicted over at the uh, the Capitol. I'm sure you all have heard that as well. Oh, for for yeah. several years now, actually. Well, let's take, for example, the, the latest special election in Russellville. You know, I have no reason to believe that Breanne Davis will not do a, a, a good job, but I have a, a very good reason to believe that Bob Bailey would have pushed for transparency, uh, you know, exposure, you know, he would not have fallen into this racket down there. You know, like I said, I don't have any uh, reason to believe that Breanne Davis would, but I believe Bob would have been a, a stronger person. What happened there, he got more votes than anybody ever got in the Senate race and still lost. Now, you know, we're running the numbers now, but where did the rest of those voters come from that set that record? You know, where, how, who drummed them up and how? You know, that's what we've got to understand. Well, as one of our senators that we helped at one time told me the other day, I said, you know, we just want educated voters. He said, yeah, Brenda, but that sure is expensive, isn't it? Well, it's yeah, true. It is expensive. expensive. Get the word out. Yeah, well, not only that, uh, there's a lot of people that, and I'm not saying this administration or any other administration, I'm just saying when politics in general, uh, politicians don't want a well-informed electorate. If they were, they'd see through all of these schemes that go on uh, there in the Capitol. I heard the governor's spokesperson on your show last week uh, call Jan Morgan a liar, and they weren't going to debate her because she was lying. I mean... But did they name the lies? <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's how these people operate, just muddy up the water and, and get the public disgusted, and they'll do whatever the status quo is, possibly. Well, three times I asked, well, if they did this, would that allow the debate? No. Would this? No, no, no. You know, it was all no. Uh, they just, yeah, they I appreciated just, your, your continual questions. I thought they were excellent. You know, they just didn't want to, they don't want to debate. It's, it's that simple. You know, I understand that because you've been around politics, both of you have, for a long time. I have in, in five different states. And the incumbent never wants to debate because they're always afraid they're going to say something stupid. And uh, when I think it's a good strategy on our governor's part not to debate her. I think that we'll have a, a article out maybe the end of the day that you'll want to look at about the debate. I think mm -hmm. you know you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I can I can sit here and tell you exactly why the governor would rather not debate her. Number one is 
you know, he does, he's not a really charismatic guy. Jan Morgan is a very charismatic woman. Uh, just the, just the energy level of the two of them standing next to each other would be, you know, tough for the governor to overcome. Well, I think that, um, for her to be able to get her message out, you know, she said people need to, I think I, I heard her say maybe on your show or Paul's that she had people buying their own signs, doing their own thing. Yep. You know, it's, uh, we, we heard Alan Clark say, Hey, you know, I know what big money looks like and, and this, you guys are not big money. You know, I mean, they spend their money one direction, one focus, you know, what can they get from government? What, you know, what's their piece of the pie? And so Jan is, you know, offering to support people who, you know, the pay the taxes. Yeah, and the you know dispersed costs, not the concentrated benefits. Yeah, you know, it's the same deal about lies. I mean, you, you can push people about, all right, well, we misled the public, we lied about this or that. Well, what is it we lied about? Say what it is, and then we'll find out if there's any absolute truth in this world or not. There may not be. Well, there's a lot of people say that there isn't, Joe. I hate to tell you that, but there's a lot of people out there that that's exactly what they're saying. we got to take but a break. There is a vote on record, and that's certainly one of the focal points of our organization is if you voted yes or no, then you have – there's an absolute truth to how you voted. Well, but that's only in the case of when they're either – when they're in the Senate or when they're in, in the House, when they're in a committee – they do that voice vote thing, and who knows what the votes really were at that point. Yeah, buddy. We, yeah, you remember that uh, uh, Josh Waters getting thrown out of the – almost getting thrown out of that committee meeting for asking for that voice vote. You remember yeah. that? Oh, I played it. I played that over and over and over again. But that's – I hate to put it this way, but that's the way the game is played because they refuse to do a roll call every time. And I think that the voters – uh, deserve a roll call vote every time. Is that, would you consider that corruption? Sounds like it to me. It sure can lead to it. I mean, well, that's the bottom uh, line. You know, that's the way the game is played, but not after the, the voters decide they're they're finished with it. And, uh, it, you know, it's expensive, as, as I mentioned, and you said that no one really sees anything if it's not on the three major network channels, you know. We're just hoping with shows like yours and the, the Internet and even, you know, our shows that maybe those things are changing. Uh, we can hope for that for the sake of Arkansas and our future generations. Well, we'll go down swinging. Let's put it that way. If you'll hold, if you'll hold on, we'll be right back here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. i got to get, get a break in here real quickly. Don't forget about my good friend uh, over at uh, PI Roofing. And that's Joel Johnson. He's a smart guy. He he has taken PI Roofing from just being a roofing company. Uh, he knew that the people who had problems inside their home because of the water that got inside their home because of the leak in their roof uh, were having to take on two, three different contractors to try to get some of the stuff fixed inside their homes. So he hired the necessary people in his company. He pays them, and they take care of things like painting those uh, stains uh, inside your house, drywall repair, taking care of the insulation, some exterior painting if necessary, carpentry work. All of that can be done right through PI Roofing. We're going to have some big thunderstorms over the next few days. If you notice water in your house, get a hold of PI Roofing immediately 
at 501-687-6246 or piroofing.com and get them out to your home and get that water stopped so that you won't have a lot of repairs inside your home. But if you have repairs that need to be done, no, you can get them done with PI Roofing and Home Solutions. Conduitfraction.org. Make sure uh, you look at that article at their website, or you can just go to uh, the, my Facebook page or my my Twitter account and look for, uh, you know, Little Rock is Burning. We posted that on my social media so you can read it as well. So what is this other uh, uh, this other story that you're telling me about, Brenda? What should I be watching for when I get home and start perusing uh, through the uh, the sphere of uh, the Internet? Uh, the governor's debates. Oh, the governor's I think that'll, debates. That'll get it, you know, okay. whether debate or not to debate. All right, we will. And, uh, I'll take a look at that. Go uh, ahead. It'll it'll be interesting. Well, well, one of the things that your your listeners and and you might want to look forward to also in the coming weeks is Commerce in Action will put out a voter guide, and if you don't really know, but you have gained a level of trust in our organization, and you don't know who to vote for. Pass it on to everybody you know, and th- that's a well-reasoned voter guide that will make less corruption, smaller government, uh, all the things that the Republicans claim to want. Voting for the candidates that Commerce in Action promotes is going to be a way to get there. And, you know, we have to remember, I mean, Joe and I t- uh, are sort of amazed at this ourselves. It, it doesn't take an overwhelming amount of people to act and to, uh, to affect change and a lot of things going on to affect change, but it's not going to happen with no action. God has always used a remnant. You know, we've seen um, a lot of movies probably over the weekend as people have celebrated Easter, and, and God always chose just a few people to make change. If a few people, but, you know, people will stand up and, and vote and pay attention and then tell their neighbors, This state can be a better place. Guys, you have a great week. We'll do this again next Monday. Folks from Conduit for Action, Brenda and Joe here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Conduitforaction.org. Don't forget about the uh, Paul Harrell Show every morning right here at 101 FM. Uh, The answer, 6A to 8A. Hey, have a great one, guys. Thank you. Coming up, Robert Steinbach. Lots to talk about with him as well. All right, final hour of the Dave Ellswick show uh, for this Monday. And uh, Robert Steinbach, who is a professor at the Bowen School of Law, UALR, is going to be our guest. And remember that with Robert Steinbach, his opinion, uh, opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily represent those of the uh, school or of the university. So let's welcome him here to the Dave Ellswick show. Robert, how are you today? Hope that uh, your weekend was a good one. Very good. Happy Easter, my friend, by the way, and happy Passover. Yes. They both uh, corresponded this year. That's a good thing. That's right. All right. So let's talk here. Uh, Evidently from the stories I've seen, the U of A went ahead and passed this terrible tenure bill. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, And they passed it uh, unanimously. Uh, Now, we had Josh Silverstein, who is an outstanding law professor. He may have been on your show in the past. I don't recall. 
um, he went and uh, sort of in an unofficial uh, sense was the lawyer for the faculty, meaning he's a law professor and many faculty came to him and said, we need someone with expertise in these areas to come describe all of the legal challenges that are being presented with this. Uh, in fact, a lawyer from the community who has been hired apparently by uh, a professor at the, at the University of Arkansas system, I don't know which campus, uh, also came and said this is likely going to lead to litigation. Uh, but that notwithstanding, the university uh, trustees voted for it. One of them apparently said something to the effect of, well, uh, if it doesn't work out, we can always revisit it. But the the it that may not work out is whether people are fired. So it's kind of a big deal to sort of put on the back burner and kick the can down the street to mix my metaphors uh, for the for for them to approach it, for the trustees to approach it that way. But in any event, that's how the vote went. I understand that there is talk on campus campuses across the UA system about. Uh, the need to unionize. And as I mentioned a moment ago, there is talk about litigation. Yeah, I I, I think it's interesting. This all took place over, uh, you know, the, the holiday when most yeah. people are not even paying attention because they got a whole lot of other things on their mind. And it was at, and the hearing or meeting was held in Monticello, UA Monticello, which is a small campus uh, out of the way. They could have easily uh, postponed it to hold it either at Little Rock or UAMS, which obviously is in Little Rock, or UA Fayetteville. So those were three of the, is it six plus campuses mm-hmm. that exist? Uh, and as one colleague suggested aptly uh, as well, it would be prudent for the board to have visited each campus prior to taking a vote on this so that members of each uh, local community could comment. But that did not occur, needless to say. All right. So when this first came up, and we've been beating the drum on this for quite some time, uh, I had asked, you know, I've asked J.R. Davis, and when he's been on about how the governor feels about this, he seemed to to lean towards that the governor wasn't wouldn't be pleased uh, about mm-hmm. this. So, what have we heard about the governor? He's, you know, I mean, silence doesn't mean you're complicit, right. but still, being as he well, was as quiet right. as a, as a church mouse. Yeah, I'd like to hear more. Um, uh, I'd like him to come out and say he's against it. Uh, I'd like him to take some initiative on this. I've heard comments from uh, what I will call the governor's complex, the governor's complex, including staff and the the lieutenant governor, et cetera, um, and their staff, his staff, uh, that people were deeply concerned about this. uh, But I don't know where Asa is specifically on it, but I think he needs to come out on this uh, because I think it's a problem. And uh, let me tell you, I, I mentioned this before. I think it's going to not only have an impact on the quality of education in Arkansas, it's going to have an impact on the quality of medicine in Arkansas because so much of our medicine is provided through UAMS and UA, UAMS, needless to say, uh, University of Arkansas Medical Sciences is part of the UA system and the doctors, for the most part, are faculty. And so they suffer under the same set of rules, and uh, it will impact recruiting, 
uh, and retention of doctors and other faculty throughout uh, the the system. All right. So, Robert, uh, what happens if uh, these people, and they're a bunch of lawyers, basically, uh, understand that suddenly a lot of people have gotten ticked off about this? I mean, uh, elected officials get upset. The governor gets upset. The people of the state get upset, although I don't see that happening because I don't know if if they understand that this is going to affect their children as well. But uh, do you believe that if if that happens, will they go? Can they revisit, so to speak, this and uh, and be done with it and just strike it as though it didn't happen? Yeah, there are two things that can. Uh, two avenues that can be pursued, maybe three. One is it can be undone just as easily as it was implemented. It was on, it can be undone. There is the Josh Silverstein made a very compelling description of why as a legal matter, these rules cannot be applied retroactively, meaning applied to those already tenured yet. The university contends otherwise. And that's part of what no, the litigation is coming then. Right. Well, that's and Luther Souter is an attorney in town, a prominent one, prominent civil rights attorney, and he's litigating, uh, or, or he's has a client and may be litigating. I don't know the status. I haven't spoken to Luther, but but Luther is a kind of attorney in our community that you you know of. He's got an excellent reputation, and he's not the guy that you want on the other side of the table in court. So uh, if he's interested in this, uh, there's a good chance it's going to wind up in court. And then a judge decides, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's uh, uh, recourse one, undoing it by the trustees themselves. Recourse two, the litigation. And recourse three is something you and I have talked about already, and that is legislation. Right. Because remember, these rules are just rules. And you know what's higher than rules? Laws. That's right. And what's higher than laws? Constitution. That's the way it works in the legal system. So the the uh, the legislature can pass a law undoing any part or all of this and changing it however they see fit. And more broadly, the very important law that you and I have talked about at your suggestion, this was your idea, Dave, I'm not giving false credit. I want your audience to know that you suggested it's several weeks or, or over a month ago on this show, you said we need to have a law in Arkansas that guarantees freedom of speech on university campuses Absolutely. Uh, and elsewhere. Because remember, now that the uh, the um, Arkansas Supreme Court gave out down this ruling on sovereign immunity and says you can't sue the state for money for certain things, uh, that means that the uh, whistleblower law is now changed, is now gutted in a sense. And what this will do, if we pass what I will call the Ellswick law, I'm not kidding around, I think it's you know just for the purposes of this conversation, the Ellswick law that guarantees speech on campus and speech by any public official uh, to or public employee about what's going on in the government, uh, it guarantees that right under the penalty of criminal prosecution, then we will have de facto a whistleblower law because anytime some embedded, generally leftist bureaucrat 
wants to tell an underling, you're not allowed to tell the public about this. You're not allowed to say this thing on campus. You're not allowed to say this thing when you're at home and you work for the motor vehicles department. I don't care. Uh, You know that there are a bunch of leftist bureaucrats that want to have that control over their underlings so as to avoid public scrutiny. And, And the law that you're suggesting will undo that because it will make a criminal will make a criminal penalty for those that seek to tell their underlings they cannot speak out about truth uh, uh, to the public. Uh, And that will be the new whistleblower law, what I will call from here on in the Ellswick whistleblower law. I mean that sincerely. All right, so... That's the third alternative. All right, so I should have that piece of legislation from Minnesota that Mm -hmm. I want to use to to base this on uh, for our state... Uh, and right. I'll try to get it to you before the end of the week. So next Monday we can talk about it. We can talk about it. I would, I'd like, I would like to talk about it because I'm going to tell you what, not only is the first amendment, but the second amendment is un, uh, is under attack by the higher education realm of the state of, of Ar- Arkansas. We got, uh, I got an arc, uh, article from business section uh, by Andrew DeMilo of the Associated Press that was published in the Miami Herald, of all things, talking about our concealed handguns going to be, uh, you know, not going to be allowed in stadiums and things of that nature by the Arkansas State Police, uh, given uh, this uh, plan of uh, that's been approved. Like this kind of opt-out thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so they're saying since they have a security plan approved by state police, then they can uh, say that you can't be a, you know, a concealed carry holder in a, you know, a football stadium, for instance. Right. Well, Greg, right. Greg Letting, and you know, Greg, you've talked to Greg. He's a right. representative. Uh, he opposed the expanded gun law and he made this statement. I don't know why they couldn't just submit these security plans uh, for the entire co- college and effectively say, look, our campus is safe. We don't need Act 562. This is right. This is them it, attacking it, that that act and making right. it nothing. They're trying to roll it back. Charlie Collins. Let me tell you, this guy carried this bill for years. He carried it. He is an ardent supporter of the Second Amendment, an outstanding legislator, I might add, and he carried this bill under onslaughts of attacks. Uh, from every avenue, I was at a hearing uh, like in 2013 or 11. It was so many years ago, I can't even remember the date. And there were Democratic legislators uh, posturing and puffery. And what, what is it when the, the, the bird sticks out his chest, you know, saying, I'm all for the Second Amendment. They're not for the Second Amendment. No, they're it's not. Because, Right. And you know how you know they're not? Because at the end of the debate on Charlie's bill, this is many years ago before it passed, uh, they voted against the bill. They made false claims against the bill. They said, oh, this would actually reduce the ability of people to carry guns. Literally the opposite of what the bill says, right? The bill says we are going to open up under certain circumstances university campuses for those with concealed carry licenses. And some Democrats are saying this restricts the ability of people to carry guns. Wait, what? Huh? It was the complete opposite. It was such make-believe that they were arguing. And these same people were saying, oh, and I'm all for the Second Amendment. Because in Arkansas, 
even if you're a Democrat, you have to be very cautious about coming out against the Second Amendment because Arkansas, luckily and quite soundly, uh, as a general matter, is very strongly in favor of the Second Amendment mm-hmm. and obviously gun rights. So these Democrats were afraid to tell their true beliefs. So they would make up these false statements, those that were making the false statements, not all Democrats, to be clear, and then they voted against the bill. So now you hear similar talk. People are trying to conceive of ways to roll back Act Act 562. That's the expansion of concealed carry onto university campuses with additional training, by the way. Uh, And while I don't necessarily oppose the additional training, just I want to highlight that those that get concealed carry in the first instance already have training. So it's additional training. Here's the whole thing, Robert. It was the schools bitching and moaning that had them add in the additional training. And now, and then they said, that's good. And now it's not good. That's right. And remember, by the way, that the uh, Charlie had originally passed a bill a year or two prior or whatever, it had to be two years prior at least, that said you're going to be able to carry on campus. Uh, and then uh, there was this push by some to say, um, well, we want some certain opt-out provisions. Mm-hmm. So we thought, well, okay, maybe here and there. Everyone opted out. Well, then the bill is meaningless, right? If everybody gets to opt out, the bill is meaningless. And I need to make this clear, this point, because I've read tweets and comments, et cetera, where people will say, well, why don't the administrators get to decide what's going on on campus? Mm -hmm. Remember, the University of Arkansas belongs to the people of Arkansas. That's correct. The administrators of of the University of Arkansas work for the people of Arkansas. So why do you hire administrators? You hire administrators because they have to manage the budget. They have to allocate resources. That's what an administrator does. Like an account, why do you hire an accountant to do your taxes? Why do you hire a professor like me? I'm a professor to, to teach, in my case, the law. But as to what policies, social policies, shall we call them, Second Amendment policies, gun rights policies should take place on a campus, that's up to those that make decisions about public property in the state of Arkansas. Who are they? Elected officials. Who are the elected officials responsible to? The taxpayers, the citizens of Arkansas. That's why these claims, well, why don't you let these... uh, these administrators make that decision. That's not their job. They don't get to decide, by the way, on on the when abortion is legal and when abortion is not legal. They don't get to decide on um, whether uh, welfare is given or welfare is not given, be it to people who happen to work or attend universities or otherwise, meaning administrators have a sound role. That's to administrate the finances, etc., of a university, not to <clears throat> determine uh, how Arkansans of all uh, creeds and colors and stripes and me- meaning not only students, not only faculty, anybody who happens to be on the uh, campus get to carry on campus. And just to be clear, before I get some nasty uh, tweets, I don't mean color like race color. I'm just trying to say all, all anybody can walk onto a campus. These are public places. So who decides uh, what 
uh, any random person who's walking on campus, including professors and administrators and students and the guy who lives next door to the campus and the person who's using the library, who get who decides what their gun rights are? The legislature. All right, so Robert. Not, I yes, got sir. I got to jump in. We yes, got we got to get a break yep. in. I think we'll this. I think State Representative Kim Hammer is going to call in. He wants to Love talk it. to you. We got all that coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. As he is every Monday, we've got uh, about two minutes till we have news here, uh, Robert. And, uh, right. you know, I, 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 it just amazes me uh, how people try to work their way to circumvent around, okay. uh, you know, these these laws that we've been working on for years. I mean, literally That's right. years. That's right. That's right. And it's one thing, Dave, if they if they were honest about it and they say, look, you know, and I know liberals. I'm friends with liberals. I work with liberals uh, and liber- who say I'm against the Second Amendment. I'm against uh, um, gun rights. And so they would undo it, but they would at least undo it honestly. Now, I, I oppose the, their efforts to do so. But what you're describing, the efforts you're describing, what I described about those uh, few couple, whatever they were, legislators uh, eight years ago, six years ago, uh, is they're being disingenuous. They claim to be for guns because they know that Arkansas is a pro-gun state uh, overwhelmingly. And yet they, when they vote, they vote uh, with the liberal organizations that are funding them. They vote anti-gun. It's disingenuous. Well, you know what? I, you know what's going to happen? None of us will even work with them because we can't believe them. They wanted the, this, this special security plans just for the stadiums, they said. And now what is the next step immediately but to That's apply right. it to the entire campus? With that in mind, I don't believe them on anything. Okay, we got to get news in. Before Very you good. answer about that, Very let's good. take the news first. We'll go and give you uh, your, your news, and then we'll be back. And Robert Steinbach will continue with me here on the Dave Ellswick Show as we talk about the First Amendment. Steinbach is my guest. He is a law professor over at UALR, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect those of ULAR or the Bowen School of Law. With that said, let's get back to the serious stuff and, and, and let's talk some more, uh, Robert, ab- ab- about what I was saying just a moment ago. This is why I don't trust liberals. Uh, they come to us and they say, hey, look, uh, when it comes to football stadiums, baseball stadiums, and all the rest, uh, how about you let us set up security plans? Uh, we'll make it so that uh, people can see what the security plan is. State police will look at it. If they think it's good enough, uh, they're going to say that this is a firearm-sensitive area and you won't have to worry about uh, guns being in those areas. Okay, so... And recall, and recall part of the justification for that was to qualify for NCAA uh, certification, whatever yes. the term is. I don't know too much about sports, frankly, even college sports. But something to do with the, with the accrediting body regarding sports. And so they had a specific reason for their carve-out, and yet now we, we see the, the almost knee-jerk, instantaneous response, let's expand. Yeah, let's the, expand. This is the let the camel get his nose under the corner, yeah, the, right. the corner of the tent. Uh, you turn around and the whole, whole camel is in the tent. 
because uh, Rep- Democratic Representative Greg Letting of our house here in uh, in Arkansas comes up immediately, says he'd prefer allowing schools to decide for themselves, and we can go back to you saying U of A belongs to the people uh, for That's themselves, right. whether to allow concealed guns. And I'm going to quote him here. I don't know why they couldn't just submit plans to effectively say, look, our campus is safe. We got a security plan. We don't need Act 562. Well, and that's what it was the law was before Act 562. That's and, right. And the legislator, legislature and the governor decided that wasn't enough. So basically he's saying in coded language, of course, why don't we just go back to the way it was before where – Concealed carry license holders, mind you, uh, cannot carry on university campuses. And just to be clear, it's not only U of A, it's UCA, it's whatever other public colleges uh, and universities we have in this state. Uh, and, and by the way, what we call campus carry, and it's okay to call it campus carry, is broader than campus carry. It entitles people with this enhanced training to carry in a variety of additional locations that were prohibited uh, for those without the enhancement on their license. So it came out of carrying on campus, so I've got no problem with calling it campus carry. But, for example, I saw that Charlie Collins uh, said in a tweet recently, somebody said, well, why don't you allow this to happen in the Capitol? And Charlie said, read Act 562. It does. This covers, right, this covers these other locations as well in different aspects, and I don't know all the details, frankly. But uh, so that's the point. This is about giving uh, broader coverage to those who are licensed to carry and doubly licensed to carry. Uh, you mentioned er- earlier in the show uh, the outstanding representative Tim Hammer, who I believe is running uh, for statewide uh, for state no, for state senate, not statewide. Yeah, state uh, senate. District. Yeah, he's running for state senate now, and and I endorse Kim Hammer because, and let me tell you why, because Kim Hammer has been an outstanding standing legislator when it comes to Second Amendment and other things, too, to be clear. But we're right now talking about Second Amendment. And by Second Amendment, you know, in the Arkansas Constitution, it's not the number two. But we call these gun rights generally those found in Constitution Second Amendment rights. They are, of course, rights that inure onto individuals even absent a Constitution. They're just reflected in that Constitution to guarantee those rights. In fact, as you may likely know, at the time of the creation of the Constitution, there was a debate as to whether or not we should even have a Bill of Rights. That's the first Ten Amendments, of course, because people said, well, these are so obvious. We obviously have the right of free speech and free press and the freedom to assembly and the freedom of and freedom uh, from religion and the freedom... I don't know if I said that right. You're the, the, the free to pursue whatever religion you want without government interference, to, just to be clear. And the Second Amendment, gun rights. Uh, but luckily, those who were pushing for the Bill of Rights said, you never know how draconian and how imposing government can be. And that's what we fled uh, when we fled the crown, when we fled England. And we need to ensure these rights. And so we need to put them in the Constitution. And so we have outstanding representatives like Hammer and Collins and many, many others um, uh, who uh, will uh, 
continue to look out for the citizens of Arkansas to ensure that they have gun rights, and we need to be ever vigilant uh, uh, regarding those who say, oh, why don't we move backwards? Why don't we roll back gun rights? Why don't we do it the way we used to? Why don't we let some unelected bureaucrat decide the average citizen's right to carry a firearm on a public place? It's just an illogical statement. And the answer is we will never go back to that regime, you know, period. Here's, here's the key to all of this, Robert. If you remember two years ago when this was fought over and uh, Linda Collins-Smith got involved in it, Jan Morgan came to the Capitol, and mm-hmm. uh, it was all about uh, the enhanced carry. And, right. and the bottom line was, that Smith and Morgan were both arguing the point of, you know, we're giving back a lot here. They're going, you know, they're going to just push for more. Well, it's been, here it is black and white for us. They're, right. they're trying right. to, they're trying to circumvent the law in its entirety. That's right. That's right. Now this is, look, as I mentioned a moment ago, I know a lot of liberals who quite unabashedly say I'm against gun rights. Uh, those people are honest in their convictions. Then you have elected officials who are dishonest in their convictions. But l- let us not forget that uh, for, for the most part, for the remarkable most part, overwhelmingly, liberals are against gun rights. So if you're against gun rights, I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, go vote for the other guy. Go vote for the liberal if you're against gun rights. But if you're for gun rights, don't get confused or tricked by someone who's speaking with a forked tongue when it comes to gun rights, because liberals are against gun rights. That's just a position. By the way, it doesn't make them evil. It makes them wrong, but it doesn't make them evil. I'm not looking to vilify anybody here. People make all sorts of wrong decisions and choices and have wrong sorts of philosophies. I've been wrong in the past, as hard as that may be for you, Dave, my good friend, to believe. But the fact is, on the Second Amendment, you and I, uh, Charlie Collins, Kim Hammer, and many others are on the right side. And it's a, it's a side of freedom, and it's a side of justice. And we have to ensure that our Kansans continue to enjoy, and by enjoy, I don't mean it as in smiling, I mean inhabit their gun rights. They have those gun rights as a part of their very being. Guns are dangerous. That's of that, there's no doubt. So are but, cars. That's right. And, but you know what's more dangerous? When you take away the rights of law-abiding citizens to have their guns and still obviously leave open the not only possibility, but the reality that many, many criminals will continue to have guns. Not all of them, perhaps, but many, many will. Okay. That's a more dangerous circumstance. And that's the primary reason that we have to be ever vigilant, our personal self defense. All right. So as we leave off this argument, because we can get to a break here when I finish this yes, sir. and uh, come back and, and talk about something else, like how you can't say some things in commercials anymore because people will take them completely out of context. Right. In a, in an article today from the Hill, it uh, was talking about how Democrats have seized the gun control argument for the midterm elections. 
Listen to what this says. Democrats acknowledge the backlash to recent calls from former Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens to repeal the Second Amendment, underscoring the public fears about a slippery slope when it comes to gun control. Uh, Everybody knows who listens to this show about what John Paul Stevens said. He said, get rid of the Second Amendment. It hurts the message, said Brad, uh, Brad Bannon, a Democratic strategist. Quote, it basically raises the hackles of a lot of people who think Democrats are out to take away all the guns. It scares the bejesus out of people. Democrats, now listen to this closely. Democrats Mm -hmm. should make the distinction that we're not trying to take away your Second Amendment rights, but we do want stricter limits on ownership and sales on guns that are weapons of war. So, in fact, they are trying to take away your Second Amendment rights. Look, Dave, they've done exactly what we just – this comment is exactly what we just spent the last, say, three minutes talking about. Yes. That is, they don't want you to know what they're really doing. Mm -hmm. Let's not tell the public that we want to take away your Second Amendment rights. And the way they're trying to dance on on the head of a pin there is they're saying, we're not looking to take away all of your Second Second Amendment rights, just a lot of them. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the Second Amendment rights that I have are a package. And if you want to cut them in half, you've taken away my Second Amendment rights. I guess that's less bad than in taking them away, away entirely. I'll grant you that if that's much of a concession. But you're still taking away my Second Amendment rights. That's correct. All right, we got to get a break in when we come back. There was a Miller, I think, it, no, Heineken, Heineken TV ad that a lot of people said was racist. I'll tell you what the ad is when we come back, and then Robert and I will talk about this insanity that this country has been infected with. That's all coming up on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back for the final segment with uh, Robert Steinbach, who is with us today. And uh, we're down to about eight minutes left to go here, Robert. Let me uh, get up that story here, pull it up here. Heineken said today, It's pulled an ad with the tagline, sometimes lighter is better, after critics slammed it as racist. The ad features a bartender sliding a bottle of Heineken light to a woman. The bottle travels past several black people and others before arriving at the paler-skinned woman. The clip came under fire on social media. Hip-hop star Chance the Rapper, whoever that is, called it terribly racist. On Twitter on Sunday evening, and other users agreed with him. Of course they did. Uh, quote, what idiots do they have approving this ad? Fire that person, tweeted Helen Edmerhofer, who identifies herself as a former communications manager. Heineken responded late today by pulling the ad from TV and the Internet. Quote, while we feel the ad is referencing our Heineken light, light beer, which there's no doubt about if you see the ad, and that light beer is better than other high-calorie options, we miss the mark, are taking the feedback to heart, and may, and will use this to influence future campaigns, said a Heineken USA spokesman. You know, you can't say anything anymore, uh, Robert. The backlash against the ad follows high-profile missteps by other brands. Let me just run on these. Uh, Pepsi pulled a controversial ad starring Kendall Jenner 
that was accused of uh, appropriating the Black, Black Lives Matter movement. In October, Dove apologized for a Facebook post promoting its body wash that used a three-second uh, GIF of a black woman removing a dark brown T-shirt to reveal a white woman. Uh, and in January, H&M set off a huge outcry by using a black child to model a sweatshirt that had a, um, a slogan on it. The retailer apologized, removed the item from its website. Anymore, people seem to me that they find whatever they can to be offended by. This is a growing issue. And look, there's a spectrum. Someone can put out an ad uh, that's intentionally racist. I don't think any big company is going to do that. Right? I don't either. Stupid move, right? So I, 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 I think that's not a reasonable, likely possibility. But it's, it's, it's possible in the theoretical realm. Then one could put out a, an ad that is offensive uh, to some particular group because it builds on some stereotype, that kind of thing. And uh, whoever put it out didn't realize that they were doing that. That might happen from time to time. Uh, and in those instances, uh, then I think people should tell the ad maker or the company, do you realize that you've done this? And the ad maker should pull the ad. And then I think there are circumstances where people are looking for something when there's nothing. This is offensive because of X, Y, Z. Those aren't the facts of the ad. Even if they were the facts of the ad, they don't make a negative comment against anybody. And that's that last point is the point that you're making, which is that uh, many times people are claiming offense at something that objectively is inoffensive. Uh, and so I think we have to look at each ad along this spectrum that I've described, but I think we need to recognize exactly like you're pointing out that too many times there is a claim that something said or seen or done uh, is intentionally offensive, and it's not even unintentionally offensive. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's part of our growing culture of the, offend, the, the offense machine and the offense police. Right now, it's becoming more and more the case, and this is a direct attack on the First Amendment, that if you say something that someone else says, I find offensive, whether or not it's objectively offensive, but that person uh, sitting in his house decides he's offended, that's enough to shut you up. Yeah, you got to shut viewpoint. up. You got to shut up. Now, that's not what the First Amendment's about, uh, nor notions, broader notions of free speech, meaning First Amendment applies to government. But I don't want people trying to shut me up, whether or not it's government, just because they say, oh, I think what you're saying is offensive. And I said, well, I ordered a, 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 a snow cone from the ice cream man. Well, that's offensive to me. Well, tough luck. Tough luck, baby. That's the problem, is that we have too many people now running around being offended for the sake of being offended. Now, I can't speak to this ad. I saw the article that you sent me, but I couldn't load the ad. So I don't know what was actually going on in that ad. But I find it almost impossible that Heineken intentionally uh, made an offensive ad. It's possible that they unintentionally did so, and then, okay, then they correct it. Uh, but uh, it's also possible that it's not an offensive ad. I simply haven't seen it, so I can't speak to the underlying substance of the ad. Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy stuff. It's just like, I don't know if I sent this, this story to you, but now, you know, we just had the attack on Confederate statues 
that brouhaha has finally calmed down. But now, now they're attacking any statue that Native Americans think are offensive. Well, and that goes to this broader point that we need to consider when statues and monuments, etc., have gone up, uh, and what was the context? Uh, because you, you know what? In the 1800s, uh, people were there. There was a lot of racism. So, do we wipe out all of that history? Uh, do we put a plaque on uh, part of that history that says, "Look, we need to recognize that by today's correct values"? There was a lot going on w- with these people or these events. Uh, so, how do we balance those things? And while I don't think there's an easy answer to it, uh, I know that the the answer of tearing down all of history so that it meets contemporary standards is unreasonable yeah it's 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 crazy that's why after this month when we're doing gone with the wind is our classic movie coming up in uh what is it uh april it's blazing saddles and that's our first amendment movie this year and may i say if you're offended you're not the only one exactly <laughs> then, then we've achieved our purpose right absolutely i will have achieved my purpose. With that said, exactly. Robert, it's always a great time to be to talking to you. I'll be back in touch with you, and I will send you that legislation, and we will move from there, sir. Indeed. God bless. All right. Have a great evening. That's Robert Steinbach, law professor at UALR, and of course, uh, his opinions are his and his alone. I'll be back again with you tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Power panels in, as well as the Bible guys will be will really be the Bible guy, Steve Hess, because Scott Stewart will be out of town helping one of his uh, uh, congregation. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great evening tonight. Uh, watch the basketball tournament. It's a national championship. Have a great night. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.